Crash Codes Podcast. I'm your host, Steve, though there are two others. I am Matt, a.k.a. Stormageddon. I'm John. Those are the two others. <laughs> Welcome to another episode of Crash Codes. Be Crowds. warned. Uh, before we drive right into our album pick, which Steve picked, obviously. I did. I, did. Um, I have one announcement to make. As you're listening to this, a week from today, I will be in a burlesque tribute a tribute to ho- uh, Hooray for Hollywood, a tribute to BoJack Horseman, which is a popular Netflix series that I am quite into. Um, I will be stage managing, stage panthering as Todd Chavez, BoJack's best friend. Um, eh, 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 stage panthering? So Prowling back and forth and willing to eat anybody who comes too close. Exactly. Oh. No, uh, so th- there's, a term, we all know. there's a term in burlesque. The stage manager is usually referred to as the stage kitten because she also picks up the... Um, the clothes that the you know and sets up the acts picks up the clothes she's a stage manager essentially she sets the scene she cleans up so I don't know where I first heard it but the term for the male version is stage panther um, or at least that's what I'm using um, I don't know that I'll actually be getting undressed the performer who is one of the producing partners of Metropolis Burlesque Petite Renard I've worked with uh, the pink room burlesque a lot and she knows that I'm a DJ and that I don't typically get undressed she said if I want to I can for the, for the comedy of it but I don't have to I can just be dressed as Todd and be awkward on stage so okay. I'm undecided now but uh, you're, a, no. you're comfortable in the wear being a on stage lot of clothes. being awkward right? yeah, yeah. wear a lot of clothes and slowly remove them over the course well, so of the here's, night so here's the thing Todd wears a pretty basic outfit it's an undershirt a hoodie a beanie um, thong flip flops and track pants my thought was to remove articles of clothing every time I come out, but not your typical, like, hat, then hoodie, then shirt, like, till I'm down in my underwear, maybe a shoe, <laughs> then maybe, like, half of my hoodie. To make and over it... a period of years, he slowly no, no, reveals himself. just this idea of making it a little awkward, since the character is kind of a, go- a lovable goof kind of character. Gotcha. So we'll see. But Really tease him, like yeah. a ring. You know, right. Like Have that. a wardrobe malfunction every time you go out. Right. There you go. Like, make it awkward and, yeah. and, and, and odd. Anyway. Yeah. Get some clothes you can actually <laughs> So destroy. please come see that if you're in the New York area. It's going to be at the Slipper Room. It should be a lot of fun. Um, I am quite a big fan of BoJack Horseman. The theme to that show is actually a song I, I love quite a lot. But uh, come check that out. And uh, if you're a fan of the show, come say hi. But enough about me and burlesque. Let's uh, move on to a, our album for this week, which which Steve picked. No, let's let's make it all about you and burlesque. I Always. Was, he was so whimsical when saying that, too. Let's move on from me and burlesque. No. Just like, oh... Now we have to get back to the reality from the daydreaming yes. expanse, which is burlesque. <laughs> Pass and me the torch, slowly I having suppose. a wardrobe <laughs> Well, as I have mentioned recently, I've been in a huge new music phase. And of course, the podcast is all about new music, but we occasionally get into spells where we're picking familiar bands, familiar names, because nostalgia gets the best of us. And from episode 200 on, our episodes have, as of yet, been pretty much dominated by that. The 190s most certainly were not. So I've been wanting to get back to that and take us down more prog routes, more jazz routes, uh, more classical routes. But truth be told, we're having a fairly busy month. And boy, do those episodes demand a lot of work out of us. Work I relish in, but work nonetheless. 
So, in trying to stay current and stay backlogged and stay interesting yet sane, quite the set of criteria, I know, I was determined to find a pop record that we could approach discussion-wise the same way we would approach something a little more experimental. And yet, all I was finding as I was culling through all these bands and series of lists were just droves of indie and post-rock. I know I've said nice things about post-rock before, but in its weaker examples, I also think it's an easy way of clouding the fact that you're not actually doing anything. Like, it just makes it really easy to make it up as you go along, because it's all atmosphere. And so it was just kind of all running together for me. And then I stumbled upon Claire McGuire, 27 years old, British, owns two dachshunds. So you practically know her by now. Right, sure. Um, We'll be doing her second album, Stranger Things Have Happened. And, well, this was the first time in a while where I heard the first track, and I was enthralled. But then, in going further into the album, I was being thrown wildly up and down. And to clarify, I don't mean that there were tracks that I kind of liked and then tracks that I had to kind of sit with and deliberate over. I mean that I either loved them or dismissed them. (laughs) And that was that. Lots of highs, lots of lows. And I know that might seem a pretty strange way to set up an album for analysis and review that you're going to be listening to for two hours. But that's actually exactly why I brought it on. I wanted to, on one count, field my discrepancies to yours truly, and then reason those out with your discrepancies, just to see whether it all lined up or whether it was just one thing for you. And then, of course, on another count, if it wasn't already apparent in this series, I love exploring the line where things unequivocally succeed and where they fail in music. Or if not fail explicitly, then at least fall on deaf ears. I want this line explored and dissected to its max, and I think Claire McGuire is a really good candidate because of my topsy-turvy experience with this album. Well, so, I think pop music is a is a good place to have this kind of uh, deliberation anyway, just because you can be very hypocritical about pop pretty easily because yes. the tones that and the, the styles and all the things that blend together to make good pop music and make bad pop music, sometimes the lines blur a lot. And so yeah. I feel Sometimes like they're like exactly the, the same, same. <laughs> but there's always like, like a, you a could, singular element that shows up within a track that otherwise would be exactly like a previous track or a previous piece. Right. But that extra line, whether it's like a, a slight variance on the percussion or a new piece or instrument. Or I love that chord progression. Or, or I hate that chord progression. It's the same chord progression. Yeah, right. but what? it's framed just ever so slightly. You get, right. a, you get the color blue on top of something yeah. that's kind of grayscale and all of a sudden it's gorgeous. Well, that's why I hope I give, I've given our listeners both a fair warning and a ringing endorsement, because that's exactly how I feel. So if you haven't listened yet, go listen. Uh, we'll still be here sitting paused in limbo. But we don't actually have to bring that I up. Know, the, yeah. the, no, the pause will do the, the work. Pause, the, the yeah. pa- but the pause was for emphasis. I get it. Emphasis. I get, that's true. They need a marker. They need right. a breather. They sure, need to see that little, that little gap in the, in the waveform. By the way, in case you're wondering, we didn't edit that pause. Oh, natural. Um, all right, well, let's Dragon jump. Rights. Let's jump into the first track, Faded, um, which is the track you were talking about that really uh, sucked you into wanting to do this. Yeah, this is a track that when I first heard it, it intrigued me within seconds. Not too many albums begin this way. It's somewhat faint but soul-inspired. I call it a locomotive piano. It's bolstered only maybe by an upright bass and a distant tap in the background, which frankly could be tapping on anything. I don't even really a drum set. I can't even tell. Uh, Now, I'm sure a lot of thought was put into tone and color and miking this setup just right. But of course, the aim here 
was, I think, to create a sound that feels extremely laid back and unproduced. That is to say, regardless of how the studio actually looked, I don't really get the sense of padded walls, mm-hmm. soundboards, and bells and whistles. I hear an empty college auditorium. There's enough reverb here for that. No audience, just a handful of musicians with an idea in their head. And that idea, insert flats, B B A B A B A B A B A B D B A B A B A B A B kind of just chugging along mm-hmm. in a locomotive piano I described, but there's a lot of tension here. It's mounted purely through the shifting inversions of B-flat minor, and then the, the, the sole rhythm that it's got going also is kind of building the tension as well. So simple absolutely worked for me here, even down to the tone of the piano, which feels like it's been around the block a few times. Like, it's not um, it's not a proper concert grand. Mm-hmm. It feels like it's almost a practice room piano, something that's been sitting there for years. I was going to say, the piano has this kind of life to it that it feels like, you know, like a comfortable pair of shoes, if you will. Mm-hmm. Like, you can just slide right into it. And what I like is, also, through the very beginnings of this track, you're already noticing very subtle changes. Not Nothing major, but, like, the piano seems... F- fairly steady for the most part, but it's the other stuff, the minor percussion, the tapping, and other things coming as we go. And I like that. I like that it's kind of just easing you in, but it feels comfortable already. Like, I didn't. it didn't take me long to get to that place. And when the vocals step in, you... It, it further just perpetuates the idea of everything that's being described so far. The vocals are hollow and subtly haunting. But somewhat ephemeral. Like I actually it's looked uh, looked it up. She's been compared to Stevie Nicks and Annie Lennox. I can see that, um, absolutely. But, but it even brought me back to something a little bit more recently, or relatively recently, and that's Goldfrap off of mm-hmm. the album Tales of Us, which we reviewed back in episode 64. And as I recall, that was one of our more volatile reviews as well. Volatile meaning that I loved that album to death. And was wrapped up in her vocals, but you were a little, you know, you were quite sure. Yeah, I just didn't do the same thing. But at least the vocals here are. uh, So far, this track has me caught under the same spell, the same emotion that I got out of Tales of Us and and out of the first track there, which was equally as alluring, Joe. And this time, I'm on the same page because I I love her vocals. I mean, I'm kind of a sucker for for female singer songwriters. There's a lot that I've liked over the years. I mean, we talked about how much I love. Florence and the Machine, I really like Anna Nalick, I like, um, you know, I'm not even opposed to other pop female singers as we've talked before, you know, it's not a secret that I like some of Taylor Swift's stuff, some of Mm -hmm. Adele's stuff, and so this is kind of in my wheelhouse of that kind of thing that I like. I suppose I like singers that have the same stuff that you just described, singers that have a, a, a very deep presence, but I tend to like them more when they're juxtaposed against something else that is very kind of laid back, but mm-hmm. also has a lot of soul within it. And sure. this has a lot of soul, well, both in the actual meaning of soul and in terms of the genre as well. It's right. really borrowing from that, that 70s soul movement. But one more thing about this piano, because I realize that a lot of times I make a lot of jokes on this podcast about the use of piano in a kind of droll, minimalist capacity. But this, for some reason, feels very balanced to me, very just balanced and very paced, uh, which really gives you time, I think, to to sit with it until the vocals finally do enter in. So after that point, it's just, I don't know, it's it's blended. And that's really insane, considering the short amount of time that just passed. Well, I'm not 100% there until the chorus actually steps in. Okay. It's when the string section and her vocals take off that I felt the piano had truly earned its keep. Because by that point, yeah, I was I was grooving with it. I was I was along for the ride, but when the ride actually makes this turn and the strings step up and she starts hitting some really nice heights with her vocals, even though that there is a, a hollower feel to it, 
even though it does ha still have that reverberation of a big empty space, I just love how full everything gets. I love how thick and how just just bright everything gets on top of that. I, I enjoyed the same things, although you have to admit that that chorus sacrificed the locomotive piano, you know, that was going on beforehand, which is why I actually loved the pre-chorus a lot more, because it really brought out more of what had already been building in the intro without vocals and the verse. Um, the the pre-chorus started to add this little vocal syncopation here, just alongside the uh, uh, twisted thinking feels so pretty, right? And right. she's just going right just just between the notes and I really enjoyed that syncopation it just kind of enhanced the previous feel and maybe that's what kind of allowed me to segue into the chorus a little more so yeah and I would say also I mean with the chorus with the strings we're also getting more and a little bit more intricate drumming because we're getting the brush stroke drumming that adds to that locomotive sound yeah it's like a brush snare yeah and and what I like about that was in the uh, second verse right right in the return right, of the second after verse. the chorus that, that point I have to admit chills like yeah. chills up and down and that was one of the points points when I figured I think we're going to be reviewing this album. Right. Well, and also I liked that at that moment, me and you pretty much looked up and said the same thing. We both agreed that it felt locomotive. Like, it, it felt that way before that, but that was the moment when it really, really sunk in for me. Because it sounds, uh, John even mentioned, it sounds exactly like wheels turning on yeah. the train itself. Mm -hmm. But what I really love about it, even just, I know this is such small potatoes, I'm just talking about that simple, like, brush snare thing, but it, it I like the fact that it adds just enough flair to send chills down my spine, mm -hmm. and yet it also withholds so much as well. Like, it probably, that is probably what makes up most of these chills. I was just writhing with curiosity at that moment, yeah. like being kind of blindfolded and directed towards some kind of gift. I'm, like, I'm on the edge of my seat because of the range of options that she has at her, at her disposal at this moment. Or like st standing in a corridor with a bunch of doors labeled with question marks. <laughs> All of that. And one door she opened that we haven't talked about yet is the bass. The very, very slight bass that just shows up in little spurts. And it's kind of there we the whole about time. It. It's been there since the beginning. It was actually... But doing that at uh, D-B-A-B-A-B -B -A -B with flats. But she was it was doing that. That, and it was second that, verse, that second verse, it actually starts gaining a little bit more momentum to it. It gains a little bit more presence. And feels or like it's or even pumping. your precious chorus, for instance. Yes. That's when I like it. That's when it gets even nice, more so. Really nice. Because at that point, it was sort of... It was working in wide intervals, like it was stepping up from uh, E flat, B flat, up to F, and it was just the fifths, you know, which is pretty wide for for the bass, considering that it was originally doing something in such a narrow capacity. And now it's really, it, it's sort of, it's singing alongside her. It feels like almost a secondary vocalist, you know. I love yeah. when basses take on that such character, and I guess that's what I, that was probably my favorite part uh, about the chorus, even next to her vocals. Maybe because I sort of liked when her vocals were a little bit a little bit softer. Right. I, I I guess I enjoy. Uh, being teased a little more so mm -hmm. than the actual reveal. And of course the chorus is the big reveal, like this well, is what her vocals can do. And I'm on the other side. I'm on the opposite. I love the reveal of those vocals. I love the way the strings and the bass frame I like her. tension for some and reason. And I love her heights because I don't... The payoff for me is so much in that chorus and the bridge Well, it's it track one. Later. We'll have plenty of opportunities later in this album to show off what her vocals can do. For sure. But when the bridge steps in and completely shakes things up and goes into like a, a whole different idea, even though it's... Going back to the, the clapping sound from earlier, the percussion from earlier, and that shaker kind of a feel yeah, comes in, along. Yeah, in the bridge. That... It's, it's like... I love these payoffs a lot more than I love the verses. Even though I love the verses, the setup is 
for me, not nearly as good as the culmination that she's going through with the chorus and bridge. Well, in all honesty, when you hit that bridge where it's just, you know, with the, the clapping in the background, everything kind of got actually a lot thinner here. That was probably the only point on this track where I was a little more of a naysayer. Just my only, you know, just to pull back the fanboy a little bit. I wasn't crazy about that because I felt like it had already reached its heights, or rather that it sacrificed the tension in that moment. I mean, granted, it's a bridge, and I guess she already said her piece, but it was just okay for me. But uh, isn't the bridge designed to do that, to kind of relieve some of the tension? Uh, I no, mean, not I guess, necessarily. I think a lot of times bridges can add more tension. Well, that's true. I think it could kind of go either way, and I think the way the song f flowed, for me, I didn't mind that the tension was released there, um, but I see where you guys are coming from. Well, maybe it's because the track was withholding too much at that point. Oh, maybe. You know, because it thinned down, and I yeah. already said earlier that I liked the fact that the brushes added just enough, and I kind of wanted them to add maybe another just enough. Not take away just enough, because that's the opposite. I don't know. <laughs> uh, I mean, I think I'm kind of in between you guys. I mean, we were talking about Burlesque at the top of the show, and I mean, Burlesque is all about the tease. The reveal is great, but like... The reveal is only as good as the tease, and so I think I'm in the middle. I like the tease, I like what it's leading up to, but the reveal has its power because of how well it's teased. Well, so, I also, I, going along with being teased, I did like probably the softest, most delicate part of the song, which was just following the bridge, where she holds that final note after I'm not asking for a long affair, I'm not saying that I care, I'm not asking for a long affair, I'm not saying that I care, and then it holds that before going back into... Uh, the the, tr the the locomotion, right? Which then finally, I think, gives us another chorus and an outro. And that's the final thing I want to bring up about this track. We didn't talk about the transitions because the transitions are great for being as non-existent as they are. She turns on a dime <laughs> well, and she exist, goes back. But it's when she goes from chorus to verse, it's stark. It actually is just stop, go. Yeah, One, and maybe two. that's the only reason why the initial reveal of the first chorus was just like I wanted the tension to maybe be a little more paced slightly but I still got other things that I like for the chorus I'm not But for like, me like that not, was that was point. a great way to go right back into it because of the actual aspect of the locomotive nature of the rhythm section right. the fact that it was just broken up with the chorus and reached heights and got you know explosion and then right back to the grindstone chugga chugga yeah. chugga well, that was, I mean, the one that I just described from the bridge back into the, the locomotion feel, that was probably my favorite transition on the album, if we're playing favorites, because you'd think by that point you'd already be over the locomotion. I wasn't. No, I think this, this, really this well. riff, this, this configuration could have gone on forever. It's also something that I can't place that I've heard a lot. Like, uh, this kind of feel from a song, I can't name another song that's made me feel this way. That's so why I, like I, that I went at length of describing it in the beginning, because I'm sure it probably took a lot of effort to, to, to mic it just properly and yeah. get that tone, get that specific tone out of the piano itself. Yeah. But it's it's a simple idea, just very innovative. And that's why I say you don't, you're not going to be placing this one, because it really is a pervasive idea. Yeah. And that's probably my one real critique, is this... I don't really feel like much of the configuration of the instrumentation is deep. I don't feel like there's yeah, a lot of complexity, and I'm really hoping that even while I love this track, I wanted to I want her to go more complex than this. I um, want her to reach further heights than just this. See, I wouldn't for this song consider that a fault. N I, not for this song, but for the album. This is showing me a nice preview, but I want more depth to these ideas because the ideas that are going on right here the string configuration the way the the piano is being used are great 
but I want her to start pushing the boundaries of what these things can do. The only time I felt that was in the bridge. But other than that, I thought it was actually showed a lot of reservation and a lot of taste. Um, especially, exactly. for instance, a thing that we didn't even bring up in this track, and that was the strings. The strings come in, but they're very barely used. And that might be an example to your point, for instance, and the fact that like they, they're not... It's not a grandiose string section. They're just barely there. It's for the rough edge, the slight glissando, but it works. It works. It, it ties in with everything else that only barely takes off. So, uh, yeah, <laughs> this track really had me. Um, we didn't even read any lyrics here. I mean, I've been chasing paradise. Uh, nighttime leaves me paralyzed. You know, these are... Uh, <laughs> There's a lot of tension in her own position mm-hmm. in life here, so I think especially that was a because good setup. of the repetitive nature of the lyrics, because yeah. she's not waxing eloquence like a book. It's just short little statement work, and it's just well framed. Yeah, and of course, the idea of faded love, faded love. So <laughs> obviously, it's not going to come from sunshine and roses. Uh, track two, here I am. So with this song, what I liked about it being different from the previous track, at least in the initial start of the song, is that Steve made a big deal about um, how the piano tone was very kind of in an auditorium, whereas here it's much crisper. Like it, it, because this this song, uh, spoiler alert, is framed more like a pop song. It has this kind of crisp, you know, uh, closely mic'd piano in a different way. You know, like this would be a newer piano. I feel like whereas the other one felt kind of old and comfortable. This one feels like a brand new piano. You're sitting down and and and, and or even and a out. digital piano, or, perhaps, or maybe even a keyboard. Yeah, and the strings show up very early, mm-hmm. and they're already working within the same framework of the rhythm that the piano is starting out with. It's not just pop. It's it's further inspired more along the lines of uh, a Motown or a gospel piece. Sure. The framework almost almost to a T says feel good. Right yeah, from the it's get-go. got an uplifting tone immediately, yeah. And I think also that's what's very different about the previous, to the, compared to the previous track. Yeah, it's a big contrast between the two. Mm-hmm. And I mean, not to say that there's no, you know, common threads between soul and no, gospel. No, no, no. I'm just saying, like, specifically emotional tone, the other songs feel a lot more dour, whereas this is instantly uplifting. The moment you hear it, it's kind of pulling you in and trying to rouse you. Well, the first line is, I was afraid of not giving in. I've had my fears underneath my skin. She's already talking past tense. Yeah. It's not, I am fading or I am faded. It is, I was afraid. Now, this sort of framework is already messing around with the theme, and I like the way this theme is being built already from the beginning. I was afraid. I was petrified. Well, it's... it's, I mean, it's not far off from that kind of a song. Not at all. And when the chorus steps in, the words are very... Self-affirming as opposed to mm-hmm. the, the like Matt said, dourness of the previous track. Here I am, here I'll stand with you every day. Here I am, here I stand with you every day. And that is a far cry from faded love, faded love. Oh, God, faded love. You know, this yeah. is not, uh, it's, there's something about this that I, I, maybe I'm being too shallow here. Because I'm not saying that's not like, all right, it's good to move from a place of, uh, of insecurity into a place of security, or rather, it's like I've kind of gotten over it a little bit. Because mm-hmm. actually, really, this is moving I don't, forward. I don't think this is even necessarily indicative of the theme that that builds on the rest of the album. There's highs and lows, maybe in terms of my experience and also in terms of her emotion. But being that this is a gospel song, it and it really is like just at its core plain gospel. I really wouldn't even do any crossover genres with this particular mm-hmm. one. It's gospel. We had actually a, a, a near gospel album last week in Chance the Rapper. Mm-hmm. And maybe it's because there was some overlap in those two albums in my listening queue. You know, I'm thinking of like, 
all the different directions that that album took, but at the same time also what it held back. And whenever it just sort of sinks back into the comfortability of having a kind of, you know, a, a kind of gospel song that could have been written just as easily in 1968. And I feel this is actually sharing the same problems. And I'm not anti-gospel, I'm just saying that this... this particular song, these chords, this melody has had to have been written a bazillion times. It, this was just so strange considering where I just came from and the edge of the of a new world that she was creating in track one. No, and I and I totally see that. I guess for me it's like this kind of timelessness, but again, timelessness is kind of a nice way of saying it's been done before. But but that said, I didn't mind that. I mean also the lyrics that John read I thought were very sweet and the song as a whole is very face value, which I can see why it might rub someone the wrong way after hearing the first song, but I don't know. I appreciated the, I don't want to use the word honesty because we use that way too much, but I appreciated how this song was delivered as is, and I took it for what it was, and for me, that was enough in the moment, but I can see how that could But every, maybe... every song is presented as is. <laughs> no, no. I think, so what I'm trying to say more specifically is I think... The sweet, uplifting nature of the song is something I was ready to embrace. And so whether it was intent or not, I was ready to embrace it at that moment because I didn't mind the shift, but I understand why someone might. Well, I'd, I'd only argue that the reason why someone might and the reason why even in a part of me was poised to mm-hmm. is more because of nostalgia than anything else because sure. it's it's somewhat of a ubiquitous setup but ubiquitous you know with connotations to things that we all love like for instance Beatles Let It Be which yeah. I hear a lot in obviously the piano here and the chord progression and the the little the last two chords like mm-hmm. in the phrase that dun 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 you know like that is so gospel yeah. and it's I just I know it though and as a whole, even the tone of the piano, I wasn't happy with that tone shift. The fact that it sounds a little more digitized or uh, clean, I, that's that's a far cry from that strange mused, you know, seen some action piano that we had in the first track. This The tone of this piano was a little cheesy. It had no body. And at the same time, the, the organ drone in the background really just laying it on thick. Every element that you'd expect in gospel... I pieced it together too easily, and it was uh, almost the reason why I went back on not picking this album. Actually, the uh, to to speak of a completely different point, the the what got me in this track, for, forgetting the music, like that wasn't even a factor, but yeah. it was the vocals. I thought they were really, really good, yeah. but at times, especially during the chorus. I felt like she might have been reaching a little bit too hard for that upper register that I don't think was quite there. And that was a little bit of a turnoff. Yeah, see, I okay, would... Oh, all right. So now this is an interesting point because I didn't... I, I think she made the note. I think she hit the note. I don't think there's anything... Uh, I don't agree with you if it's a question of, of quality or of skill. But I would agree that sometimes when she hits those heights, it gets a little bit drowned in the rest of the atmosphere surrounding it. Like this kind of church amphitheater, it didn't feel like it was very well framed. Like she just feels like another member of the choir, both in spirit and inflection. That's actually a lot more accurate. That is a great way of putting in see, what I was trying to say I see your right points there. through the book. <laughs> because it was good. Like, she's a great vocalist. Maybe not the best I've ever heard, but definitely in an upper echelon kind of a caliber. Here, I guess it might have just been the music wasn't quite supporting because it, her edges were blunted here. 
I think, at the end of the day, especially for the chorus for me, but in general, the edges of the vocals that really would have been nice and compelling felt blunted because it didn't feel like the music was quite supporting the sharpness that I was kind of going for. Yeah. Kind of, kind of, kind of wanting. I mean, this is where I think we'll all agree, at least, is for me, the vocals didn't stand up to what they were in the previous track. I agree. I think she has beautiful vocals. We've all said that to death at this point. But there was a little more variety in what she was doing performatively in the first track. And here, it was more of a stayed in this kind of same place, which is fine. And for the song, it worked. Her comfort I think. zone is very nice. Right. I mean, like, I think it's just that <laughs> I would have loved the same kind of variation that we were getting in the first track, which I, I can safely say this is one of the few tracks where that happens, where she kind of stays in the same place. Um, we get a lot of variety in her vocals throughout the record. But in terms of the progression of the song itself, like I actually felt like it was very close in theory to the first track and the fact that it doesn't really like develop into this... Um, like, it doesn't have a, a grand, you know, part yeah, B or anything. Sure. It's all little subtle additives. Mm-hmm. But yet, this was this this defines the, um, the, the fine line that I was trying to describe in the very beginning when I prefaced this album, is that I, for some reason, on one hand, in the first track, little subtle additives, like, like for instance, uh, that those brushes on the snare, mm-hmm. right? They intrigued me. They were like, oh, that was such a slight touch, but I am, I am ready for what comes next. And yet here, there was something that they added in... Uh, that she added in verse 2 at the very beginning, which was just this kick drum thump. And that was the subtle little additive, and that did nothing for me. I almost kind of saw it a mile away as sort of a textbook, like, all right, we're just going to slowly add a couple layers here just to thicken it out a bit. And it didn't feel like it had the soul of the first track. So it just felt like this track was it was littered with cliches that I wasn't digging. I see it in a certain in a certain light, but this wasn't uh, this wasn't where I was at with this album, so I kept on going. On to track three, Elizabeth Taylor. So this song also starts, I feel like, similarly to the piano we got before. It's still crisper, newer sounding, um, but the, the tone it's going for is a little bit different from the previous track. We had Feel Good in track two. This is somber. Mm-hmm. This is nice and more contemplative. It's super yeah. sad soft pop. Yeah. If well, not it, just super sad soft pop. Super sad soft pop from the '90s and early 2000s. It was true. as as uh, so, Matt said earlier, Adele. I mean, it does. It, this does ring oh. familiar of Adele's. Which kind Adele of music. is obviously more recent, but I do sure. feel she borrows from that tradition. Oh, and in some ways, she is almost the, as far as I'm concerned, the chronological pinnacle of it. Well, like, and I think she's also she kind received of, such a garnered such a huge she, fan base. She, well, and she's also got this kind of potential to go in a direction that. Uh, uh, male counterparts of Elton John and Billy Joel went. You know, true, she's kind of true. she's a she's a very good pianist and she's a very good singer. And I feel like she's in that direction. Which, of course, Elton John and and Billy Joel were kind of all over the map, but had these roots in rock and pop. Um, and this song, I feel like, is doing a very similar thing. I can totally get a vibe of those kind of piano men and piano women at this point. Um, yeah, I actually never saw that comparison from Adele to 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 those old. Old blokes, but actually, yeah, I, I Don't do see John that. Old. <laughs> it's not nice. Um, <laughs> that's Sir Elton John like to you. That's true. Uh, but I, but I like the note, the note work here because they kind of have these this kind of falling progression of the notes, which adds to the somber tone. Um, but it does feel kind of textbook at this point, as far as um, at least in the beginning, in the first verse, what you would expect for a song like this. And I would say even that that textbook nature extends through the chorus. Because, well, we've got two tracks. There was piano, there was strings. In this track, when you hit the chorus, of course, it's part of the theme, it's part of the arc. We get strings. 
these strings are not even as complicated as the previous track in my ears. Like, it, it, I don't feel like they're doing much more than saying this is now the chorus part. Yeah, and that may be, but I don't know. I enjoyed the, the, the string vocal swell because the way her voice kind of rises with the strings, I like the way they complement each other. Even though you could see it coming a mile away, I enjoyed where it went. Well, I, I think the string arrangement was definitely better here, yeah, yeah. so I was able to enjoy it on that level. And, and I think it just, it, but, I, I kind of got sucked into what the song was doing. Even if I could see it coming, I was along for the ride at this right. point. But I, what I liked was less of the, you know, Adele-esque heights that she reaches. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to just consistently, you know, compare her to Adele. Actually, I have some other vocalists to compare to uh, later. But other than that, she has moments where she just sounds all into herself. Still here, it did kind of ring of, of, of Adele pretty strongly. But I wasn't anchored toward the heights, toward the, you know, the the grand stage presence, <clears throat> heights of the chorus that, right. that Adele does. Instead here, it was really more about the spaces in the melody, the little okay. pauses that she, that she hits, even as, as soon as the first verse. I feel like Elizabeth Taylor, right, kind of also grooving along very slowly here. This could be a movie. I feel like Elizabeth Taylor, red lips, dark hair. Mm-hmm. And I liked these little spaces. I enjoyed the pauses here, mostly because the melody as a whole, although it's certainly beautified by her vocals, really just keeps moving. Yeah. So they're really, most for the most part, they're wanting for breath marks, which is why I love them when I get them. And in some ways, the melody takes after the dazed nature of the piano here. Mm-hmm. And the piano is not even just dazed. It's a little bit dull. Just eighth notes, breaking up triads, in fact, this is a, a perfect example, a, a use of piano as droll minimalism that is not exempt from my aforementioned critiques. It kept this somewhat, again, away from reaching the heights that it could reach, which is why I guess I was focused on the small things. I mean, which makes sense, but for me, I think the singing you were just talking about, that kind of impassioned pacing kind of really drew me in. And I'll, I'll say up front that I'm a, when I find a really good vocalist, male or female, that I can kind of get wrapped up in their voice, that will tend to distract me from po- possible other inconsistencies or things that I like less and bring me into the song more. But that said, I definitely did notice those things that you're pointing out. But I think I really got sucked into where she, what she was singing about. And I mean, you know, I liked the vocals here. I was getting sucked into the verses to mm-hmm. some extent because this is more of a storytelling element, but the chorus did upset me a little bit because of how referential it is. Mm-hmm. I've loved, I've lost, and loved again, but here I am, here I stand. She's kind of paraphrasing the previous two tracks and pretty heavily borrowing, and so early, so quickly, that was a little bit of a hiccup for me. Something like this showing up 10, 8, that sort of a track placement would have been a great way to tie together an overarching theme. But here it just feels like, yeah, but come on, we we want new ideas, we want new things. I mean, new, 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 that's that's a big thing. And yeah, going back and nodding to other pieces, that's great as well because it creates a concrete theme. But it felt like that that specifically was a little too soon in my eyes. Well, I felt like this was in general kind of remarking at the culture shock of newfound celebrityhood. Yeah, I think that I see where you're coming from. I just think it wasn't too early for me because I think anything like that continues a through line that I appreciate. 
in the flow of a record. But I, I mean, I can understand what you're saying, I guess. I guess because I was so wrapped up in it, I, again, it's a thing that kind of washed past me, so I kind of just took it for what it was. Well, on another point of yours, Matt, where you were saying that this was a track that for you, because of the vocals, you can tend to overlook other things. Sure. When it, but that's just the thing. I feel like it's a track that is almost designed to show off that she has pipes. It's an oh, she can sing kind of track. So you're kind Which of agreeing a, with me, but it's I, a I'm detriment a, for you. Exactly. But you're, but you're agreeing... Uh, other, with how it's framed. Well, it's one of those things where you have to acknowledge that the virtuosity is there. Right. You know, but sure. that doesn't equate necessarily to feeling it in the fiber of your being. No, so of it course. Lacks, yeah. It doesn't have the soul I get that. in some way. So yeah. we, but it has the soul, but it doesn't have the soul. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. One, not the other. So we agree on different points, Capital. but disagree on the same point. Uh, this is becoming a, a little bit of a theme for this album. Uh, this is becoming a little bit of a theme for this series. Yeah. <laughs> That's also true. All right, let's go on to track four, Swimming. A beat a guitar, a slow groove. I mean, this felt like uh, the softer side of something like Bare Naked Ladies. Like, I got a real... They didn't sound the same, but I got a real pinch-me kind of a vibe sure. introducing this track. Pinch-me has that fingering guitar in it, and so I can, I can see that because of the guitar work here, um, and it kind of having this folky kind of feel at its core, so I get that. And you can feel the pop kind of creeping mm-hmm. up on you as you go along with this track as well. But the real thing that stood out for me was... For a minute there, I thought I was listening to My Brightest Diamond because the vocals, another turn, and this with the depth. Oh, that breathiness. The um. deep quiver that's going on right here, I love. Yeah, that I was love the other Shara. the other vocalist that I mentioned that I was going to compare her to, which is, of course, Shara Warden. I mean, Shara Warden, I, I didn't see it originally. I actually had to have YouTube point it out to me, and I was like, yeah. well, well, well it, it actually deep. is it there. Deep. Okay, fine, you could have it. But it was, it's in the breathiness, it's in the somewhat low register, the the, the oaky, <laughs> whatever that means, you know? <laughs> but oaky is accurate. Yeah, it's accurate for whatever that means. But I, I, there's something in this, which I guess it's owing to the title of the track, and it, it, you actually do feel like you're kind of just swimming and gliding like a weightlessness along. almost. There's a, a recurring southern gothic guitar pattern, mm-hmm. kind of an incessant drum sequence, but it's all very bluesy for sure, and yet mm-hmm. also a little watered down. I'm not going to say I completely loved this track, but I... I did notice the Shara Warden influence, and I guess maybe this is where I'm slightly closer to where you were in the last track, where I liked her vocals, but I kind of want to take them as one piece. Sure. Well, yeah, and like for me, even though the guitar wasn't very flashy, I liked the tone it was kind of creating, and we hadn't really gotten a lot of guitar in the other tracks, for sure not in the forefront, and so for me, it kind of taking front and center and, you know, kind of just being playful and having a nice groove was enough for me. Like, I could latch on to that. And also, her vocals are not flashy here either. Yeah. Her vocals are just kind of, like, I'm not going to say watered down, but it's not the kind of song for showing off. No, it was definitely kind of more chill, if you will. Yeah. And I hate to phrase it this way, but the track felt, and this is the only time I want to use this word, like, ever, but the track felt normal. Like, I mean, it okay, did not feel one. like it stood out in any real way musically. I mean, I just I hate using the, the word normal, like, but I think I know it, what you It mean. felt like it was normalized. Like, everything was done to just be, like, here's the standard ideas of feel this, feel that, get this rhythm, get that melody, and we're done. Well, let me, all right, let me read a little bit of lyrics here. Verse 1, whatever makes you bad makes me want you. I don't want you to leave without your heart on my sleeve 
won a long tattoo then, and songs that I sang to you when you needed me and I needed you. And later on, it's just uh, the chorus is, I am swimming, I go swimming, I'll be swimming, I'll go swimming. It's sort of just, all right, well, if that's the way it's going to be, then might as well just, you know, say la vie and just be. And the track itself is kind of just doing that. It's just, it just is. It's just going to be. And I think that's why it sounds normal, because it's just that song in the middle of the album where we're just floating along. And I guess in that sense, great, we have to have the whole discussion where it works. It works, it's fitting the structure. But it really is not standing out in any particular way that is memorable for me, except perhaps the Shara Warden-esque vocals, which still, I don't know, I guess they, as much as I may have liked the tone, I wish it was doing something more interesting melodically. In fact, maybe that's what I'll say, is that melodically it still felt a little bit watered down, and I did get kind of tired of the incessant drum sequence. This was already the third track in a row, where by this point I was starting to think that maybe track one faded, that I, I talked up as much as I did, maybe it was a fluke. And I, I know that's harsh. I know that's really harsh. And I don't think it's a f- fluke. I believe all, all, all art, especially all good art, is intended at some point along the line. I mentioned that a lot of work probably went into creating that sound. But I can't quite reconcile that with these three tracks that feel more fit for a pop, a pop album, a pop environment that you're just going to kind of, you know, mass market to a lot of department stores and all that stuff. I mean, my, my only argument, I guess I'd say, is a lot of pop records having a diversity of sound, even if one track feels more technical than the others, is not super foreign. But I, I understand where you're coming from as far as expectations. I think it being pop is less relevant because... Or more relevant, depending on how you look at it, because pop kind of tends to be all over the place sometimes. Yeah, I mean, that would be the easy answer, is, well, these last three tracks have been pop, therefore that's why I'm not liking them to the same degree as the first track. Which I still think, in its own way, is pop. I would agree. But if you were just not to even use the word, if you were not even to use it as a description, it would be simply a track that you can immerse yourself in, versus three tracks that I can only really enjoy. Can only really truly enjoy in a passive listening sense. While I was doing something else. I didn't really get a lot of enjoyment when I was in an active, deep headphones listen for these tracks. Once again, this was the point in the album where I was thinking about maybe uh, considering something else for a pick. And of course, let me just, one more thing. We do a lot of albums all, all, across all ranges. You know, whether we like them or don't like them, we still might dive into them just to see what they turn up because we're interested to see what they turn up. And so I probably still would have picked this regardless, but it ended up becoming more interesting because of later incidents on this album where I was thrown, like I said earlier, so wildly up and so wildly down. This was perhaps one of the lowest points in the album for me. See, those moments come later for me, and I, I can't quite yet reconcile why, but I would say that for me, I think from where I was coming at it, I was kind of okay to be along for the ride, um, not to invalidate in any way what you're saying, I think I'm just coming at it from a different place, which, I mean, happens often when we're listening to albums, especially something like this. I don't want to be along for the ride. I want to, again, 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 you're back on the roller coaster, you know, with enthusiasm. <laughs> well, uh, let's take that ride metaphor a little bit. We started off at, all excited for this journey, and then we got kind of Great Plains pastels going on, but luckily, <laughs> track five... Stranger things have happened. If if we were really starting to hit a low point, especially me and Steve, and Stranger Things Have Happened is appropriately titled. 
Ugh, jeez. <laughs> and it's I, the title track. I did not really expect, maybe that's a bit cynical of me, but I really did not expect this this album to leap up to a point that, in my opinion, I think maybe even exceeded the first track, only because the first track, of course, was, you know, it was setting up a little bit of tension. And, of course, this sets up tension as well, but it adds a couple of other layers. It adds a bit of brooding in it, all of this, of course, because of the following instrumentation. You have a harp, a harp that I did not expect. Uh, I believe she plays harp. Um, and the harp itself was at first being used just to play this, like, I felt like a major arpeggio over an otherwise brooding minor chord background. So I think there was a little bit of, like, mode mixture going on there. Can't confirm that. It's just to my ear, that's what it sounded like. Um, but something about that foreign introduction was very <coughs> captivating. You know, when the harp's in the room, they stand out like a sore thumb. Uh, I also think that at some point in the course of this, I heard a dog bark. I think that was her dachshund. I don't know, <laughs> but I heard something I, there. I did she not She actually hear that. is on record as saying that she has gotten a lot of in- uh, inspiration from her dachshunds. It was Floydian, like the slower, nice burn of a of a of a mind screw kind of Pink Floyd track, mm-hmm. and it was eye opening from the from the first chords because what happens as we go along with because this also harp, tonally the harp is being used as a counterpoint to everything, and 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 what 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 happens is. All of a sudden, I noticed there were strings. I did not know how long those strings were there, yeah, but they, they just they just emerged out of this harp melody, and once they were there, they were a focal piece. But it was fantastic the way it wasn't just a creep up. It's like oh oh here they come here they come. No, yeah. it was literally, and then they were there. It was it was beautiful just to get an experience where I was thoroughly surprised. Just thoroughly surprised at just the way the instruments flowed. For me, also, I think, like, this song was painting a picture but not painting a scene, if you will. Like, it felt, I felt the artistry of it, but I wasn't really imagining anything. I was just kind of in the moment. It happens more even later on the album. Or just like a still impressionist painting. Right, like something that you can tell that there are wide brush strokes and that there's a a, a passion and an intent here. So it's a Monet. Or is it a Manet? No, it's a Monet. Monet. It's <laughs> not Manet. There's What's a Manet. The with you? There's a Manet. How, how dare you, sir? There's a Manet, too. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, um, all joking aside, yeah, I, I got into a, a groove with this where I was just kind of seeing this scape. It sounds cheesy, but the soundscape, you know, I really did get wrap up, wrapped up in that. And I like the kind of somberish tone that it's taking, but not necessarily depressing, just kind of, you know, a, a lower, more kind of easier going. Well, that's why I think the harp was so useful, because mm-hmm. of its juxtaposition against everything else. For a while there, it was definitely sending me a slightly more positive feeling against everything else that was it was simultaneously with everything else that was right. clearly so so brooding. Um, but then it changes its role. It starts being used more as a percussive instrument at that point, just sort of you know, right on the beat, just a little strum here and there on the harp, and that was the only percussion I believe that you had. So, of course, it was alongside this that we get the first verse, and her vocal when she begins, the vibrato here is beyond compare, especially at the beginnings of these phrases. It's that on the verge of tears vibrato. It's that I, I can barely get the words out kind of vibrato, and yet there's still so much passion behind it. I, I There was no, no comparing this to either the previous three tracks, which I was pretty questionable about, and uh, frankly, even the first track. I mean, the first track was really more about the music than her voice. I still really enjoyed her voice, but this... The, the, the vocals have finally become a spotlight under themselves. This was original. I, I 
don't even think I want to compare her to Shower Warden here, even though I believe Shower Warden has done similar things. There's something about this that I don't think I've heard before. It's all Claire McGuire. The real crux of it was when the pitch really got piercing and you have the metal of the strings really coming through, complimenting her, and just like just 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 feeding off of one yeah, another. It was chorus. That was about the first beat of the third measure in the chorus sequence because the chorus had I think two iterations, so it would be on the the in the second phrase, the beginning of the second phrase. And chills abound in that moment because mm-hmm. the orchestral tremolos just they come out of nowhere and they slowly get louder and louder and louder, but they they do have like they don't creep out of Nowhere in the sense that they come from nothing. Like when they hit, they hit strong, and they act. It's a strong accent mark for the melody itself. I, this was beautiful composition. Well, I kept feeling like the strings were almost evolving throughout the track. Like the the strings, unlike in previous tracks, where the strings come in, they kind of do their thing. They they play a little, but they then they go. Here, I felt like they came and went in a way that you were constantly going, oh. Oh, that you know, was... and, and and just changing and doing. New In other stuff. words, they were being used. Yes. Like it's actually like they're changing their role as they yeah. go, and that's actually a really good point because sometimes I think that's where we kind of can get whisked away with mm-hmm. a lot of tracks. That admittedly, sure, they sound beautiful because they picked an instrument to do one really really awesome thing, and it may be chilling, right? But it, it's the same role throughout the entire track. A lot of tracks do that, and I feel it's a little bit of a cheap shot. This. That's not a cheap shot when no. you change up the role of the instrument. It's it's exploring, you know, their possibilities, their their bounds. And uh, that's absolutely what the strings were doing as well as also what the harp was doing. Yeah, there's an intensity to this track that I feel like because of the strings and the harp, specifically the bass, just the mix in general, that really gets conveyed instrumentally. And then the the vocals just blow it out of the water. I've... Um one of the the best parts of the entirety of it is when those really understated crescendos show up and the violins or violas or whatever instrumentation is going on in that aspect of the strings, they're fearful of the vocals. Like, they're, the quiver that they got going on, it feels like they're, they don't want to, to go any further because they're afraid of what would happen to them. Like, it's that <laughs> level of they're scared. And I just love that little bit of fear that's going on because what's, what's going on with the vocals is falling in love stranger things have happened to me but i'm falling in love like this new just emotional burst that's coming out yep. in the words and in the vocals there's still that little bit of a sour note that that exists in it it's not pure and happy go lucky it's a little cynical it's, almost exactly that tiny little bit of cynicism keeps it from being something like here i am where everything feels feel good and yeah. uplifting this it this has feels, a realism to it you're stealing words from me. Stop doing that. <laughs> I'm just good at that. What can I say? Well, let's, how about her words? I'm a fool, a crazy fool, walking off those sapphire blues, carrying my shoes, drinking in these drunken stairs. Unprepared, I don't care. Chorus, fall in love, failing love. Stranger things have happened to me. Fall in love, failing love. Stranger things have happened to me. When the rain hits your face, I feel like an actress in your embrace, dreaming of what's to come. I'm so high. So high. Stranger things have happened. Fall in love, failing love. It's just, it, it's 
the the impact of the song I think is just so well mixed between everything. It's dispersed so well. But it's they do just, get braver later on. You know, when you were describing John about how they they are they feel afraid to continue the the strings especially. Yeah. The final build around like four minutes twenty seven seconds here in that region. Everything has so much more intensity. And then finally mm-hmm. here I I heard what I didn't expect to hear because again of my my I guess familiarity or or comfortability with a lot of strings that maintain their prior role. That was not the case here. The style of violin playing at this late point in the song actually reminded me of specific classical performances, like the specific inflection of David Oistrakh or something like that, who's a famous uh, uh, Russian violinist. Probably the best version of Claire de Lune, by the way, that you'll ever hear. Uh, look back in like a 1916's performance, David Oistrakh. Um, the, the high, just the the... the effortlessness with which he holds a vibrato in such a high register on the violin. It's very, very delicate, but yet very powerful in its own way. And there's so much emotion in just like single notes at this late, late moment of the song that, yeah, this didn't stop being interesting at any point. The evolution, as as Storm put it, that, that goes in this track, not just in the strings, but in everything as we progress, is just so sublime. And I don't use that word lightly. Like, that is a very important word to me, so me using it to describe this track, it means a lot. Yeah, for sure. No, and I... I... I agree completely. I think this is, you know, another song on our record where we're just all like, yep. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, we're kind of all in agreement. I don't think there's any I was disparity told, I was here. told by someone once that the only other thing that would be considered sublime are things like mountains. Mountains are mountains sublime. Mountains are sublime. They are sublime. I I'm sure there's other things Sunsets can be sublime. Yeah, sunsets. Forests. Yeah, sure. Yeah. I can see that. All like the mountains beautiful, beautiful forest view. Things that can't be replicated by man. They, they add to the Even sublimity. Cl- clearly this was probably replicated. Well, it was created it was by created. man. It was created but by it man. wasn't replicated by man. It was created True. by man. True. Ah, he got me. All, All right. right. Track six, whenever you want it. Um, so I'm noticing a pattern at this point that songs like to start with piano and vocals. Um, oh, yeah, piano's the thing. By the way, I, didn't, I don't know if I mentioned that at the very beginning of the album. She plays piano, so most of the right. piano, I believe, is her work. But here... The tone that we're starting with is kind of in a heavier, kind of deeper place. It's a breathing piano. It, mm-hmm. it, it goes high for the intake and low for the exhale. And it keeps this breathing pattern. And it's something that's deep that is like you're taking deep breaths. You're really, you're starting to like get that oxygen flowing through you. Something's about to happen. But nothing really seems to happen in this track aside from just the heavy breathing. Strings show up. Of course strings are going to show up. Because this is, it's a core component of this album. But they feel like it's one of those, yeah, they're going to they're gonna show up because you're going to hit pre-chorus. So we have to build up to the chorus. So right, it always feels like it's kind of strings. trying to mimic the subtle, you know, subtle layers that we had as early as the first track. And there were things that really did bring me back to the first track here. Like, for instance, yeah, the, the piano has almost the same exact tone. It has the, the girl and piano in an em- empty auditorium kind of feel. Mm-hmm. But I feel even here, maybe the piano is even more minimalist. So I, I guess you could say I was in a little bit of conflict with this track because the atmosphere, as I described ad nauseum in the first track, was totally up my alley, and it was same here. But the chords in this track weren't saying anything particularly special, just kind of this, like, oompa, oompa, oompa feel just uh, over and over again. I wasn't digging that. Uh, I guess the rhythm wasn't as interesting. The chords weren't as interesting. Um, and yes, of course, sure, the strings show up, just like John said. But then when they come in, they're always beautiful. They always sound like, you know, George Martin's string arrangements for the Beatles, for instance. That's a positive thing, but... 
maybe it got a little over the album at this point. I don't know. For me, like, I, I focused on the vocals in this track. And again, they continue to impress. And she's doing something a little different. That's what I like is that even though her vocals... You know, it's always her. She's always playing with them and doing them and, you know, singing in a certain way that you take notice and I at least get wrapped up in. It, it, to, to, to speak to what Steve and Storm just said, it was a lot like the faded vocals. Like, mm-hmm. it, it still had that auditorium feel, but it was a little bit shifted. They were a little bit more concrete, I want to say. They didn't feel like the expanse was as big. They still had, like, the richness, but they're also more hollow. They're hollow. Yeah. They're, they're, um, actually, I think, as John said off air, that it plays up the empty auditorium feel. Yeah. Like, her vocals really do accentuate that. Though they felt a little bit softer around the edges. Like, the hollowness felt a little bit less echoey for me. Well, almost as if she doesn't have anyone to sing to at yeah. The yeah, it's actually, a smaller, a smaller a empty yeah. room yeah. Yeah. yeah it's it's meant for her and maybe that's why maybe that's why I was in conflict because it felt kind of insular in that I mean, obviously you can go both ways with that you could say yeah. well that's about as personal as they come right art that isn't meant for anyone else but oneself and that that can be a compliment because wouldn't you think that'd be purer in a way but it also felt like I said insular uh, maybe you know in, in such a way that it wasn't really aware of the occasional stagnancy. It wasn't really aware of itself. It was just on its own trend. It felt more like a train of thought, which I had to admire, but didn't necessarily grab me. I mean, with the forlorn kind of nature of this song, but again, it being insular, I mean, I suppose things that you look at yourself, the things that you are inside are imperfect, you well, know, it- most of the time. So I feel like that imperfection, those flaws... Maybe aren't intent, but are reflective. Well, because at first it reads like a conversation or a note that you'll never send. Right. I think it's about time we had a discussion about us. I think it's about time we turned off the TV and had a discussion. Then I don't want to be alone. I just want to have someone. I don't want to be alone. I just want to have someone who laughs at my shit jokes. <laughs> I, I like that By the line. way, I kind of almost overlooked that when I was listening, but um, it won't break me when I'm already broken. But see, it, the interesting, the transition here, that it just goes immediately into I don't want to be alone, it sounds almost like, you know, she's not alone. She has someone. But does she really? That's the question. Like, yeah. it, do you feel, is, do you really have someone if, for instance, you're having the problems that she described in verse one? You know, uh, I think it's about time we turn off the TV, had a conversation, it sounds like there's not, maybe there's nothing really there, nothing of substance. It or the idea still, of being though, alone in a room with yeah. somebody else and feeling still feeling alone. But it also feels like a conversation that's really happening more in her head than actually having the conversation. It's the proposition of a conversation that may never happen. I, mm-hmm. I don't know. I mean, I think you're, you, you hit the nail on the head by saying it felt kind of insular, and I think it works for the song. I think that it doesn't f- maybe forgive some of the things that you mentioned earlier, but it maybe explains them a little. I it, don't know. It's a relationship analysis mm-hmm. or, or analysis of one's patterns with relationships, perhaps. Um, again, lots of sympathy, but that that's all. Can't go as far as empathy for this for some reason. It's all because the music just won't get there. So, uh, kind of back on a downward slope a little bit. Again, this is going to be a little bit topsy-turvy. What I like, I really like, and I want to emphasize that at this point. Track 7, The Valley. So this song was pretty catchy. Honestly, it was yeah. almost felt out of place because it was so. It was really pretty happy for this album. Almost uncannily happy. So we get a, we get a guitar here again that's... You know, similar in tone from when we got it last time, kind of in swimming, kind of folky, pop influenced, you know. 
has a lot of pep to it because of the, the rhythm and the acoustic guitar, yeah. the one, three, one, three, one, three, one. Um, and then, of course, by the time it gets to the pre-chorus, well, <laughs> this is just the oldest trick of the book. I mean, it goes back to, you know, when you have a song titled one, two, three, it's as easy as A, B, C. If you're putting in the first three letters of the alphabet or the first three numbers in the number line, it's going to get stuck in people's head. Yeah, it's just pretty pretty easy to remember. And I say one, two, three, four, shooting up the breeze, and I'm counting down till dark. And I say one, two, three, four, I think of you and me, I'm counting down till dark. So no, I, would... I know it's not there when I'm reading it. I'm not going right. to sing this because I don't have the pep that she had when she sang it, but... It really reminded me a little bit of, like, Feist's... She had actually a song called One, Two, Three, Four. Not just because of the numbers, but little things in the melody, little things in the mm-hmm. in the backdrop. It's almost like pop manipulation. You know, it's 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 already in my head at the moment. Obviously, just because we're talking about it, it's in my right. head. But this is... I know I say it a million times whenever we're looking at such on-the-nose pop, but this is a Barnes & Noble track if ever there was one, and I probably would enjoy it. Well, I didn't hear Feist, but I did hear Ellie King and X's and O's. Almost to a T. A little bit heavier in the percussion line from Miss King, but it felt like it went through the very, very standard progression that a lot of pop goes through. And I was kind of disappointed that the Valley was doing this, that it was going from a verse, which was, you know, one thing kind of plucky, moving along, hits a pre-chorus, slows down just a bit to build up a little bit of tension. Actually, I thought the pre-chorus was really a little bit more plucky. Um, the one, two, three, four thing was in the pre-chorus, and that I think was had yeah, it was more plucky than me. Well, what it goes into with that chorus though, where it actually goes, it goes full drums, it goes full yeah. guitar, it does, True. it does, it uh, gets bigger, build. Yeah. it goes big, but it had that same kind of low key feel that X's and O's had, like it was almost to a T, yeah, like low key, a, a folk, piano version of that, kind of a folk indie, but also very produced pop, you know, yeah. and in in structured in such a manner that you know, oh, obviously many songs in this album, of course, have had verses, pre-chorus, and chorus. It's not a matter of, of of pop form. Every track has been so far pop form, but in the way that it consistently gets catchier, so that well, if you weren't singing along before, you're gonna be singing along now. Well, I'll have it the chorus now. You're really gonna be singing along. Well, yeah, and I mean, it's not even that far from what we've heard from Mumford and Sons too. It's that same. Kind Kind of, which is popular now, this kind of feel. But I have to say, I mean, first of all, it'll shock our listeners absolutely 0% that of the three of us at the table, I tend to get wrapped up in catchy pop songs more quickly. Sure. <laughs> and so for me, I did hear. I mean, Steve is absolutely right. The song gets stuck in your head immediately. It's very catchy. Um, I will agree that I did notice... You know, that it did feel cookie cutter as far as, you know, it wasn't surprising me at any point. Once I heard the tone of the song, I knew where it was going to go. But that said, I really, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was catchy. I thought it, it, it had a great hook. It really, you know, the instrumentation, though, didn't really do any of the things we'd been getting in previous and tracks. Listening to it on, again, in the focused headphone listen, I, there were things that were left to be desired. For instance, also, you know, maybe it's just because the, of the predictability of it. You know, I know that it was catchy and I was kind of singing along in my head to the and I say one two three four shooting up the breeze you know but this there's also something else in here that was easy to predict and I'm not saying you can't do it because 
void that would rule out a lot of music, and that's just the general air of positivity, which is new for the album, I'll, I'll grant it. But, you know, in the chorus, when I'm down in the valley, I'm holding on to us, holding on to us. When I'm high in the mountains, I'm looking out for love, and I know a change is gonna come. Now, I find something interesting here, what I'm gonna mention, but first of all, just the simple idea of, alright, a change is gonna come, you know, uh, the, the positivity, joie de vivre, all that stuff that we went on when we actually discussed pop music exclusive in our 200th episode shebang. But, um... There is one thing that I like about this, and that is actually the slight added layer, I think, of when I'm down in the valley, meaning when I'm in the dumps, I'm holding on to us as an item because that's what I cling to. But when I'm high in the mountains, theoretically, when the relationship is at its height, I'm looking out for love, knowing a change is going to come, implying that there's a kind of grass is greener philosophy going on. I, that's what I see here. I'm not positive about it, and I'm not sure it would be picked up, you know, if you're just kind of singing along. I don't know if that's really gonna, gonna translate, but it's a layer. It's something. No, There's yeah. a message, and it's unique. And it's something it I didn't really notice. Uh, things that we did not get in our top ten, for instance. Yeah. I mean, well, yeah, I would say immediately, besides Justin Timberlake, this is be probably way better than most of the stuff yeah. we listened to in that episode. Yeah. Uh, so 200, is, check it out. Hope we advertise it for you. <laughs> but that said, uh, to use the valley as a pun, this is like the lowest area we've reached. This is this is the I lowest just, for the album it is. I, I just yeah, and can't I, agree. And I do, no, it I goes back to something you said not, not too long ago, Matt. You said the instrumentation was a little bit odd. I felt like it wasn't an oddball. I, I'll give it that. It wasn't an oddball for the, the album. Yeah. It fits the framework. But it felt like this could have been like the starting point to go from the piano violin setup into a more rock-oriented instrumentation that infuses the piano and violin. And the fact that it doesn't do this, that it doesn't, you know, really integrate drums and guitar in a more, I guess, standardized sense to be like a counterpoint to this heavy piano rhythm section, I was, I felt that in itself was odd. I thought that was kind of the outlier of this track. You know why? Because I think maybe this album is being structured in, with a slight layer of irony to it, where as you go through your the motions of life, you know, she's actually referencing particular music styles, perhaps knowing how cliche they occasionally can be, depending upon how she feels in that particular moment. Like, for instance, back in Swimming, where it was just kind of gliding along, because you're just going, you're, you're, you're in an abyss, you're just swimming, you're looking, for, looking out for things, and then here, in this track, it's, you know, you're, you're actively looking for love, you carry on, it's positive that's a far cry from all those down in the dumps tracks, you know, where she was faded, fading, falling in love, you know, which is obviously going to be more heartfelt because, as we've said multiple times in the series, mainly me, that the sad stuff is generally more interesting. In which case, what we're seeing is just a ref an accurate reflection of life. I mean, that's that kind ain't of... a musical defense. No, that's but... just an artistic defense. And I'll take it. Like I, I just I, well, like, I knew you'd be the first. Well, but but also I don't I don't disagree, and I didn't necessarily see that initially, but I don't I don't disagree. Steve, you made his rating higher, damn right it, there. Damn you it, just made it higher. Way to go. All right. Well, anyway. I I may want a rating higher. I don't know because track eight is hanging in the stars, and boy, is this a track that will put my ratings up higher. I mean, honestly, that if I were just to be thinking of a rating, which I don't think actively as I go through like a first listen, I'm not thinking what number this is going to be. But I, you have to admit, when you have a topsy-turvy experience with an album, then you have a low point and you're just like, oh, this is not going to be as good. And then a track like this, holy crap, this is skyrocketing. 
this intro was one of my favorite intros, one of my favorite moments on the album so far, which means that even in the confines of the, the few tracks that I have loved, this is already topping it. This is, they, she keeps topping herself, which I find insane. Um, for the first minute, it's just the faintest piano, the, just with the color, the shapes, the, the tone of it was e- ephemeral, and the bass was, was the only other instrument playing alongside it, playing in this haze of reverb. It felt like just two people diddling around. And you heard me right. And then a minute in, we replace it with acoustic guitar, which I, which I was not down on. It was actually very close and crisp, and the voice itself alongside the acoustic guitar had a lot more body, a lot more age, uh, a bit of wisdom and a bit of sadness to it. So I did not mind that transition, but I do have to say that if you were just caught up in the vacuum that was that first minute, it could have been a track on its own, easily, just because of how immersed I was in every little shape of the piano, which felt like, again, just diddling around, but it was conscientious. And so for me, uh, to kind of jump off of that, when me and Steve were talking about recently this idea of whether you picture something when you're listening versus getting swept up Mm -hmm. in it, this is where I absolutely see where Steve is coming from because I didn't picture anything here. All this tone did for me and this musical kind of soundscape is take me on a ride and I just kind of floated with. I didn't picture stars. I didn't picture a night sky. I didn't picture a field. I didn't picture anything. I just in my mind's eye pictured uh, kind of colors and shapes to the music. Colors, shapes, maybe at most the the two instrumentalists. Yeah. Like I felt like I was in the room with them. I was in that empty auditorium which is kind of a through line for this album. Sure. Or, well, maybe for about half of this album. Yeah. But that environment which up till now has only been a tool was suddenly infused with new life. There was something about it that just elevated its position, which is still, again, the same exact environment. I still really feel the empty auditorium, but whereas before it was just kind of like, oh, this is a place, and it is kind of an original place because the the uh, the, the colors and the, the specific um, amount of reverb felt just right, now it feels like it is appropriate for a really, really, you know, sad scene in your favorite sad movie or something of that nature. All for that first minute, and that's, again, all I'm talking about. I haven't really moved. I did touch upon the transition, but we have kind of another song following this, beginning with that acoustic guitar. It's not a different song. I I feel like the transition is kind of smooth and connected. Mm. And that that guitar gives us the deep quiver that I loved earlier, that, as we said, we loved with Shara, this is oh I love the velvet that comes out of this track I love the vocals of the track probably the, my favorite on the entire album and an album we got varied and enjoyable vocal work here it's it's the best it's working so well in tandem with the nice up and down guitar pattern that's going on right here because what comes in is gorgeous tasteful comping of the strings on top of everything else that are just working so well as being a bridge between this nice steady pace that honestly i can't get out of my ear when i'm listening to it i'm I'm, i enjoy the real steady rhythm but the vocals were a little bit at odds with that because of how smooth everything is on top of them i will say this is an area where the music kind of exceeded the vocals yeah the strings that showed up and bridged the gap and became almost a, a, a second voice on top of everything else were just 
just perfect, just on yep. point here. Well, I take that back in only in, in terms of uh, the melody itself. Like, the melody was just as important. I think it's less about how she's singing here. It's more about what she's singing. It's, it's all about the writing. Well, yeah, and I disagree a little bit only because I think also how she's singing is important as well. Because I like the breaths she takes in the chorus. The I inflection like, specifically, yeah. Yeah, and so... Well, I'm not saying you're wrong per se, Steve. I think I'm just <laughs> noticing beyond those Tracks levels. Tracks like this, I don't think it's ever a matter of, of being right wrong. or wrong. We, yeah. we but it's what, the, you, but it's it's not, what you latch on to specifically. But it's also not a matter... I mean, well, all right. And in that case, we're going to argue that the beyond is, you know, either your perspective or my perspective. Right. You're seeing, quote-unquote, beyond to the vocals. I'm seeing, quote-unquote, beyond to the writing. Right. And for me, it really, really kicks up with the chorus here. The chorus... I mean, again, the voice I mentioned, I did like the fact that it has it age, it has the wisdom, it has the sadness, but that's brought out more so in the chords here. By the chorus, it goes, first of all, back and forth between some, you know, happier chords, D major, G major, D major, um, but then we push it further into the A minor, I think it was, I think it was A minor, and then E minor ninth, and at the end of her phrase here, I've been drinking with my secrets hanging in the stars, that's where it hits the E minor ninth. It was just this clinching moment for uh for the entire phrase i i fell in love with it and then of course we're back to uh, a verse but that's the first time we bring up the notion of hanging in the stars which actually john brought up earlier because me and matt mentioned well we don't see anything necessarily we don't see stars i just see the music and yet of course if the track is titled hanging in the stars you'd expect that that's probably you know the point yeah, I wasn't actually going to necessarily bring this up quite yet, but... Yeah, he said that all fear. <laughs> the imagery of the piano being a little ditty of brightness, I felt the, the the piano was the stars, and that bass was just the flow of darkness around everything. I got heavy imagery associated with this track. And I see it now that you mention it. It's just that sometimes, as we discussed last week, you know, it it's more about the music immersion to me and I, I get more feeling sometimes without necessarily seeing anything even if me seeing something is the point of the track it was it was I think mostly it's just the stark contrast because of the two registers the two instruments were playing in in that beginning section in that part a and I, I when you go high and low it's almost inevitable I hear brightness and darkness so sharp brightness and long darkness. I mean, it's <laughs> that's stars in the sky at night. I well, mean, I, I can't picture it any other way. Then let's talk about the development of this track because the bridge, Ooh, by the time we get the, the bridge, bridge, it brings back elements of the chorus, but also so much more. At this point, I was like, what the hell is going on here? Because of this unique blend of the harp and the strings, it just had this kind of fresh, ambient quality to me. And as the bridge is saying, far away from us lie silent skies are hanging in the stars, hanging in the stars. And I just, boy, did this track expand on a whole nother level. Uh, and then it keeps expanding. Because then we're yeah, left that's on true, that. into the outro, Hanging the Stars. Actually. Hanging so, in the Stars. I, no, 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 you're glossing over it. I'm not going to talk gloss. about this. Because she goes through eight different iterations of Hanging in the Stars. And each of them says something completely different for the track. And each of them is accompanied by something completely different musically. Or, okay, not completely different musically. But there's different musical emphases. Each piece feels like she's saying something different with the same words. 
hanging in the stars. Sometimes it's high, sometimes it's somber, sometimes happy, set. There's there's eight different emotions presented right here. Yeah. It's the best example of high, her diversity as a singer, and it's it, it's hits, really awesome. She hits pretty much the previous seven tracks right. right here. And I love that, because honestly, I can't think of another time where I've really heard that recently, where a singer, it takes a repeated outro, and instead of just saying it over and over again the same way, which happens frequently... I think it was Hey Jude. She's, she's showing off her ability to sing, but not in a way like, oh, check me out. It's really just meant to show the range of emotions the album is going through up until this point in the tale of this song. I think I think it's brilliantly done. I really, really don't use that word lightly. I really like what this represents and how it showcases what she can do. It was this track literally, like, sublime was what I used for track five. This track just is ever so slightly short on that. And I was I was like, ooh, it was nearly perfect, but it does get followed up and become something almost more powerful than what Sh- Stranger Things Have Happened could have been with the following track, Falling Leaves, track nine. This is a piano that we've not gotten yet on the record. It, it's got a, a deeper feel to the tone that even feels more weighted than stuff we had cited earlier. I Yes, I half agree. But it does absolutely borrow. In other words, it's not like leaving... Oh, yeah, com- yeah. It's not completely... I'm making it sound like it's completely unheard before. And you're I like, right. I like the fact that it has the common thread, and yeah. then we'll expand on it from there. But of course it has the common thread that we had, even in the last track, and even back to Faded. It's the minimalism that works. The form of minimalism that is just piano and tons of reverb saturated but i will confess and this is where i'm agreeing with you it doesn't quite sound like it's in an auditorium anymore Mm -hmm. it's it has an extra layer of darkness and almost fantasy Mm -hmm. like it's on a barge floating down the river at dusk that's where she's playing that's her that's her venue and then uh, which is obviously enhanced by her vocals because when they enter in they're otherworldly there's two little things that actually really showcase that darkness. One is the elongation of that first word, falling. The way she lets this sort of ring out, even though she's going with a higher pitch, it's well contrasted with that falling piano work that's going on in the background. Yeah, the um, <laughs> this was pretty interesting. I actually at first thought that she was smushing together the word falling, falling leaves. I thought she just went like, fallen leaves. <laughs> I thought it was all one thing, but that's because you have to wait and you have to let it reveal. John pointed this out to me that it was actually falling. She was spacing out the syllables, not the words. And then later you get falling leaves and, and that, that little downturn but, right there i love that little downturn right there right. she puts in but no matter whether it was like the two words or the two syllables I, there's something so like i said otherworldly about the way she says that that falling and it's like it's strange because most people i suppose when they say a word that has two syllables it's usually falling or even just the natural manner in which we say words, go down to the suffix, we go down, the pitch goes down, and yet this is going up on a dissonance, and you feel the dissonance at the ling. It's the ling that is what is so strange about this. That's what's otherworldly. And of course, it continues into you left me in the fallen leaves, past tense now. And the three little phrases that we get going on right here, because it's a very short word track like the lyrics are very it's not a variety of words it's yeah. very succinct well it's because she draws the words yeah. along it's, which is it's, you know awesome even <laughs> though the track itself actually I think might be the shortest on the album at three minutes like it it doesn't feel like one of those short tracks mm-hmm. as well because three minutes it really is not short anyway anyway back on topic 
the phrases that's going on, or the mini verses that are going on right here, the second one was particular note that I made. Orange skies under the blood red moon. He left me under falling leaves. And when under hits, then this uh, is this is the other this little dissonant thing. tone. It's not even a dissonant tone. It's just the piano instead of going up and down and up and down just goes. Pretty much. It's more just heavily. yeah. Ooh, it's just a, it's just it's the bar is floating down the river. It just hit a rock. I yeah. mean, it's just it it, ooh, it adds this emotional moment just by. One note singing and one note playing, and that that kind of moment in time is is, is just beautifully collaborative and 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 connected. There are all other moments where she embellishes so much, you know, on a single note. She'll just she'll not just you know the drone that she's done in previous cases of the you know the fall, but yeah. then not in a single note. She'll really play around with the melody a little bit there. I think that was this the track where she actually had uh, it was a little vacuum of a moment where the the piano stopped. And mm-hmm. It was just the yeah. Piano. And- it went She's singing alone. Yeah. That was that was really chilling. The whole track gives me chills, and it, it I've never had such a distilled version of kind of distraught hopelessness in this vacuum where she is, and it's just it's so finely distilled and palpable that I I just loved it on every level. But and here's where I'm going to be a little bit of a naysayer because I got to be. I feel contrary at this moment. Uh, here, stranger things have happened felt more complete but mm. but these two tracks hanging in the stars and fallen leaves this is one of those situations where i think they feed off of each other in in such a great way that they are the strongest section of the it album it is the strongest unit i don't think there has been two tracks yet back to back that i enjoyed in the same capacity but i which makes them feel more like a unit exactly and that's where i'm having a little bit of an issue with the the tracks and saying they're my favorite i can't say either of these are my favorite but as a group they are but they're, they're just shy of being that level of sublime. And I will disagree only because, while well, I agree on the second part, that they're a unit together and they work better together than apart, that doesn't stop me from feeling more emotion in this track and getting more from this track than any other track on the album. I just, I don't agree. You know? I, well, it's look, not, there's it's not the emotion, days. actually. I, I, wait, 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 I want to respond to right. this one. It's not the emotion that I'm feeling that makes them so palpable and powerful and everything that you can just throw adjectives at like this the music of track five the way it just keeps reinventing and emerging out of it honestly it's the musical front that makes stranger things the track for me on this album then i i I understand that i'm just where i'm coming from with this song is what makes it stronger for me personally. All right, let's pull this back just a little bit because, I mean, when you're talking about favorites, you have to remember this is an album that I have had very wildly differing opinions on track to track. So in this particular case, yeah, all right, I tracks eight and nine happen to be back to back, and I happen to love both of them. And I believe, Matt, that maybe you're only feeling a little more for track nine just because it clearly was the second thing. It's mm-hmm. like when you get to the climax. It's meant to be a little bit... It's more meant to have impactful. a little more have it be a little more impactful, sure. sure. But I don't think that lessens in any way what track eight was. I don't think you'd have oh, felt it if, for instance, you know, track eight was completely mm. absent. Okay, yeah, I mean, yeah. I guess they're I meant to work that. at a pair. Like I, yeah, I, I describe a lot of pairs, you know, of, of songs on this podcast, or like trios of songs that appear on an album, you know, like the Pink Floyd, Dark Side of the Moon mm. thing, or like the any Col- us and them followed by any color you like. There are occasions where I just want to listen to any color you like because it's third and it does feel like that's the ultimate. 
but it's awesome. Then was the penultimate. You know, it depends on how much time you have in your day, maybe. And the theme of the two, as petty as that is, hanging in the stars, falling back down to earth. I mean, it's the combination of the two pieces of of, mm. of theme that just. It's 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 really on the nose for me. Then they're both my favorite track. I don't know what you want me to you tell can you. Pick them both. I, you know, I oh picked them both as my favorite track. But this if I want to be a stickler, so secondary to the big problem on the album, which of course we're going to be returning to with track ten, changing faces. A little bit of coincidence uh, is going on right here. The piano does not, in fact, change throughout. Okay. This- that's true. That's true. The piano doesn't change. I mean, I guess you're kind of wise to the piano at this point at, as being a feature on the album. Um, yeah, but it's not changing for the song, it, it, though. It, it did change in tone slightly. It doesn't have the reverb, right? It actually is a little bit... It's it's more reduced, but it does sound... It still sounds natural, you know? It's not yeah. like a digitized piano or anything like that. It's uh, pretty monotonous, though. Lots it's... of hammered chords, and that is pretty much... This track front to back, don't expect any more pieces of instrumentation. It's it's those and vocals, and that's all you're getting. So while you got this feeling on other tracks earlier on the record, not to the same degree maybe, but you did cite stuff like this earlier on that you thought they were lesser than other tracks, here's the first time it really, I really, really felt it like you cited earlier, Steve. It, For it, me, it felt the, the, well, the, the, no, it, it's, the piano is relentlessly the same here. You know, pace picks up slightly in the chorus, but beyond that, the absolute hammering notes are unwavering, um, which was distracting to me because I love... Her voice still, of course, I mean, it's a broken record at this point, but the piano was so monotonous, it distracted me from liking the vocals. You know what I think that the reason why is because I think you focus slightly more on texture than on songwriting. And Uh, I believe that in the case of track two, it's like, well, you have all the things going on, so you don't have to look too, you know, harshly at the songwriting if you don't want to. But I felt that it was, you know, weaker compared to the first track. And there were many other cases of just, you know, you can't help but compare. You know, I wanted something more in the soul of the writing. And in this case, both are problematic. Both are blatantly problematic. I, I want to like it, and I'm always waiting. At each and every turn, I'm waiting for this piano to to do something else, turn into something else. And that was, I think, the biggest issue I had. There felt like there was a lot of missed opportunities to take the piano outside of just the rhythm section of this track yeah. and expand it into a more forceful melody or something that felt like you were playing with more than just one hand. Like, it, it, the rhythm section can be done... Just very simplistically, very easily, you can do a rhythm with a piano. But a piano is also expressive. It's melody. It's reaches. It's harmonies. It's as things a, like this. As a and, piano player, I'm pre- you're preaching this. <laughs> and here, it was just being utilized as a rhythm section. Mm-hmm. And that was very disappointing. And there were plenty, plenty of parts where that expanse, that those opportunities arrived. Many points melodically where you feel like, this is the moment, this is the moment, break free, break free from your bonds. And you could, I mean, you could tell it was, sorry, two hands, because you can feel something in the bass register and something yeah. in mid-range, but it really, that's nothing changes apart from the simple hammering of the chords at play. 
Uh, just a little bit of syncopation, and that's about all that it did. Where are those other ideas? Now, you can argue on one hand, all right, I get it. The idea here is not to develop ideas, otherwise you wouldn't have the vacuum of this moment, which I believe is the point. Uh, but you're reliant on the piano, and I just didn't think there was any soul in the core idea, which really increases the chance for problematic uh, listens. I mean, to play devil's advocate, you could argue that this track is meant to showcase the vocals. That said, we've gotten that already. I mean, they're, like I said, the sky's blue, you know, her vocals are beautiful, like obvious, obvious, you know, but, you know, it, it could be made to be an argument. I just, it wouldn't be enough for me because, again, we've been showcased before. My, my, I even think it was kind of plain to be Comparatively, honest. for sure. Comparatively. Yeah. Well, that's because we didn't have things that were comping. I mean, I want to argue one way that you should have brought in strings, you should have brought in the harp again maybe, you should have brought in maybe the guitar, maybe the bass, but at the same time, you didn't even need to bring in additional instruments. You didn't have to bring other outside influences. With nothing supporting the vocals, the vocals in other tracks remained the same but felt transformative because the melody was playing along with it. Anything could have done something to that, and probably the vocals keep them the same, they would have been so much more. Yeah, like, I I aim at this point to trust her choice of texture, because I, I believe that usually it doesn't matter what texture you have. I mean, when we describe, because of course we love to talk about texture in this on this podcast, we love to comment on new things as they appear, but in general, all of it is really secondary to the writing, and that's my honest mm-hmm. opinion. It's all, you can do just about Anything with anything in music. That's my my honest. Anything opinion. with anything. Really. Anything with anything. <laughs> Whatever you have, if you have a glass it's in your a, hand, you know, if you just, have a coffee mug right here, no, 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 you know. can turn it it's into a, funny a masterpiece. Phrase, but it's funny phrase, but you're absolutely right. You yeah. know, um, sky's the limit. Sky is the limit. It's true. And so this track was just especially obnoxious because it wasn't even a matter of the early problem of like it's in the pop world. It's just it wasn't experimenting in any way, shape, or form. It just felt very. Here you go. Yeah, very, it felt here very you go. present. Yeah, very present. It was there. Or, or content, or or a lack of self awareness. I don't know. I don't know. All right. Well, let's go on to track eleven. We haven't really covered the lyrics in this. I I almost wanted to, oh, to say yeah. something about the notion Sorry. of changing faces because I remembered that as a lyric I really really loved from Arc Iris back in episode ninety two. It's just the lyrics didn't really stand out here. It was the only reason I was kind of inclined uh, I, I, to move read on a little bit. I walk these streets. A spotlight covers me. It's getting quiet. I see no money. I've seen a lifetime in this town, found love, and lost my mind. You have seen all my changing faces. You have never put me down. I want to thank you. I just want to thank you. Maybe the music is reflecting the idea that all the masks have now been torn off, and this is the core identity of the individual, but that's an artistic argument, and I don't like making artistic arguments multiple times on the same album. True. I mean, I would... If you pull back, you can kind of see that what she's trying to do is... But I don't feel it in any way, shape, or form. I would say that the softness and this kind of ironic thanking reminds me of the Ben Folds song that he said, uh, Thank You for Breaking My Heart. That song where it's... Sure. It's sincerely saying something very sad. And so I get a little bit of that in this, but definitely doesn't hammer the same emotion. Which is why everything is very scripted in some sense. Mm -hmm. Okay. So track 11, Spaceman. Um... (laughs) We've got kind of a more raucous intro here, comparatively. A kind of a 70s rock Motown mm-hmm. groove. We Once get again. strings, piano, and drum work right from the start, you know, kind of mixing together and swirling Lots a bit. Lots of those George it, Martin string arrangements. Mm-hmm. It feels like this was, in, in some ways, chosen to be like a, 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 an obvious contrast to the previous track. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that got on my nerves a little bit. 
Well, because the delivery of the song is kind of predictable. It's well, fairly straightforward. Because remember my my uh, the notion of how maybe some of these tracks are designed in a somewhat ironic sense. Uh huh. Like how those contrasts are really kind of intentional. I mean, like this is your sad scripted piano song, yeah. and this is your you know Motown. We're gonna feel. Which it. I mean, it doesn't <laughs> seem it doesn't seem completely impossible, you know. And I mean, look, the the the, the kind of uh, fun nature of this track. Well, like even know, the references, the drums in this track really sounding like Ringo Starr. There's a Beatles kind of feel here, yeah. But but that said, the pieces of this puzzle feel very cookie cutter. You know, they feel cookie cutter also because of how they repeat. Yeah. Like with the first time you hear it, I'm like, ah, oh, that's Ringo. The second time, you're like, that's still Ringo. Ringo. Yeah. And the third, fourth, th- that hasn't stopped being Ringo. Yeah. Well, actually, I'm, uh, a, I'm a fan of Ringo. I'm not. To, to point out another specific thing that does that, uh, the chorus. It's all make believe. I guess it's always been some crazy dream. And when she belts, she belts. Some crazy dream. What happens right there is a gorgeous piece of vocal work, but she does it the same way. Every time. The choruses sound identical. And in contrast to how awesome the different renditions of Track 8's Hanging in the Stars outro, this was the same thing as like the hook of the, the track and... The I mean, first that, two times it was great, and the third time it started to wear, and then it was just like, yeah, it's it's great, but showcase something different. Get soft. This get, is the perfect contrast. example of what I was describing before in uh, Stranger Things Have Happened, the title track, where I mentioned how the, 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 the instruments were being utilized in a different way each and every time. They were, they were reshaping themselves, being re- utilized and reutilized. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't just like a single idea that was coming from a single section of the instrumentation. It was multiple ideas. They were dynamic. This is the antithesis of that. This is the case that I described where you, well, those strings are going to come by and they're going to do one thing. And, well, the next time you hear them, they're going to do the same thing. Maybe it's a good idea at its core, like the first time, or the drums. First time I heard that and I was like, hey, it sounds a little bit Ringo-ish. And I kind of liked that because every once in a while Ringo would do something that's seemingly simple, you know. And, well, all right, not just seemingly. It was usually pretty simple, but it would occur at the end of a, of a, of a verse, you know, to lead us into the next section or something like that. Um, and it would be a little vacuum of a, of a drum moment. And you just feel that little, that little pickup, that little lead-in. And I'd be like, that's a great idea. And it was a great idea in this track, too, the first time. But then the second and third, you're, you're just kind of over it at that point. I think for me the biggest problem... Ringo's okay for a few minutes. <laughs> <laughs> I think for me the biggest thing, and I want to kind of go back to what John was saying too, but wrap it up into what Steve was saying before we move on to the last track, is I think the big problem here for me is in previous tracks, if I felt the, the verse-chorus was kind of predictable and repetitive, there was something in the instrumentation I found or something in the actual delivery of the vocals that I found. Or the other way around, if the instrumentation was kind of repeating on itself, I really latched onto the vocal presentation and what the lyrics were. Whereas here, neither. There's nothing to latch onto. It's all kind of ubiquitous. And, just, if and, you enjoy 70s rock and Motown, maybe you'll enjoy the song. Yeah, like... But- I would encourage one to go farther than that. Right. Like, I didn't hate the song by any means. It's our typical, you know, I didn't hate it, but, you know, it didn't do anything for me. But I don't even want to go there. I mostly just want to mock that and then actually state that I didn't didn't find anything I could pull on to at least give me more interest than a general, this is okay. Yeah. So. Yeah. All right. Let's go on to the final track. Leave You In Yesterday. Um, And... I don't. I don't. I don't even want to introduce this track because I'm just going to be repeating myself. Someone take lead on this. I will. Uh, all right. The first thing will be a repeat. Uh, yeah, you got piano. <laughs> That's Auditorium what I want to say. Piano. I wanted someone else to say it. Um, it's no. But here's the thing. 
melodically, uh, the voice, once it came in, this was interesting because of how sparse the vocals are, and also because of how slight, uh, how sparse the, the ever so slight percussion is. There was a lot of delicacy, I think, in this track, which I enjoyed, and, and I guess I really only had one problem with it. It's not the obvious problem. It's not the, the fact that, for instance, the instrumentation could be expanding here. It didn't have to be like, it pretty much is just, you know, piano and, and the vocals, a little bit of the tapping. It's not a lot else going on. And theoretically, you could say, all right, well, maybe expand on these ideas via instrumentation. That's not the answer, I feel. I don't think the answer is to add more things. I think the, a the answer maybe is to add a few more ideas. And uh, I was on the same page with you. At first, yeah. I wanted strings. I wanted other things to show up. But honestly, in contrast to what Changing Faces was, which was just a metronome, this, there was some flourishes and flair going on. There was texture. And, and there was... I just wanted there a was lot a more soul, of it. There was a soul to it. This had the right tone, I think. It yeah. really mm -hmm. had the right tone uh, for the end of the album, you know, as, as be damned whatever we tend to say about the, the, the guy in piano outro. I know it can be a bit of a trope, and that, yes, this is borrowing from that tradition, but I feel like it has the right tone considering the earlier stuff. Remember, that's not—usually we say that when it just comes out of nowhere. Oh, the guy in the piano, meanwhile, the album was completely different. The piano has been the focus of this album next to her vocals, so it's very important, actually, that she ends the album this way. Uh, I, I just, yeah, wish that it had gone in some of the other directions. But you can only take this in terms of the, the lyrics, which, you know, we've been a little bit all over the place in terms of our take on her lyrical approach here. But let's just try to discern the notes that she has to leave us off on. Verse 1, I guess it's when I'm alone. Feel the breeze on my shoulders. I get that feeling, you know. I'm in a ripped-up red booth on that late-night hard truth. And although I don't think about it much, you sometimes cross my mind, but I leave you in yesterday one more time. I could be sitting on the phone or talking to strangers when I remember you, in a fast car, them old jeans driving bad luck into a big dream. And although I don't think about it much, you sometimes cross my mind, but I leave you in yesterday. And I heard through the whispers that you're happy in your own way, like a disappointing drop of rain on this ordinary hurricane. And I read through the leaflets with the thought of getting far away, get that sinking feeling back again, because that ship has already sailed. I, I, I think I see where she's coming from here. It, obviously, I think this was a matter of getting over someone kind of album. And we already described how we went on the reins of emotion throughout. And in some ways, the stages of grief, you know, well, I'm going to move on, going to have no problem moving on. Oh, it's really, really tough to move on. Um, so once again, I do, I do think it fits. And I have a hard time taking it in maybe anything other than an ironic way, just because it does seem like it's a little bit cliched. So there's this weird thing where this album is kind of like half fitting together and half not, but it always does so in a kind of self-aware fashion. I enjoyed this as an outro, it's just clearly not, you know, the spine-tingling sensations that I got somewhere earlier on. Yeah, I think that I'm kind of in the same place. I feel like... It's one of those songs where I feel like something's missing, but if you were to hold me down, put a gun to my head and tell me to tell you what's missing, I don't know that I could actually tell you. Like, besides the very basic bare bones, maybe some more things with the piano, but I don't even know what those are. Cause I, I agree wholeheartedly with Steve that it's a good conclusion to the record. I think that especially the, the theme and the tone that she's been building, I don't feel, for all those moments that we may not be happy with the music, I don't feel like there's any music on this record that's out of place. 
I feel like there's nothing that jumps out and goes, oh, this shouldn't be on this album. I never get that moment. But the moments that really stand out as really impressive, just sometimes quality-wise seem to go above and beyond what a lot of the other stuff does. And so I don't... Arc-wise, maybe it's tough, but even then, I don't feel like it's that disconnected. But as a conclusion, you know, the I like the lyrics, you know, I love her singing here as always, and, you know, the piano tone at its core is beautiful. So, you know, I'm not bored by it by any means. I just, I, again, feel like something's missing. Okay, so we all came around to sort of jive together and agree in the last track, despite yeah. some disagreements earlier. We We agree separately, and we disagree the same way. <laughs> Which is... It's the Crash Chords way. Yes, it is it the is. Crash Chords way. We like to be contrary. Um, well, take us into our wrap-ups. Yeah. All right. So I'll start. Um, I mean, I, I want to start off by saying that, you know, and I mentioned this briefly earlier, but there are, are truly a lot of female vocalists that growing up I really loved. You know, I like singer-songwriters. I've always liked singer-songwriters. I mean, even a lot of the people I've interviewed on autographs are singer-songwriters that I've attached myself to. And I find that pop musicians who either focus on the piano or the guitar or like like they play their own instruments and they do some interesting stuff like I get wrapped up in that a lot more as opposed to the singer-songwriters who do dancey pop music that have a talent in their own right but it, it I don't connect in quite the same way I guess there's more of a warmth to something like this so even when it's more predictable or feels more mainstream I still get that sense of warmth that I'm getting in other places um the tracks that we all unanimously agreed are incredible, are incredible. I mean, I don't think I need to go ad nauseum about that. Um, the lows for me on most of this album weren't as low. I agree that the tail end of the record, 10, 11, and 12, were probably the lowest points for me, whereas you guys felt a little differently. Um, but still, as far as not knowing what to expect, like I really had no preconception of this album. Even with the first track, I don't know that I set the bar as high as you guys did maybe, or maybe I just, I don't want to say I was more open to what wasn't as as fine-tuned, but that doesn't mean, I don't know, it's hard to, this was a really tough album to find words to describe initially. But as we talked about it more, I think I found myself just kind of getting wrapped up in it. And sometimes that happens. You know, Steve's talked about his, his, weakness to funk and sometimes no matter how it's it's constructed he just gets wrapped up into it john talked about that with pop punk too and even classic rock how he just kind of goes along and even motown which you weren't on today yeah uh yeah today's motown was a little too gospel but maybe maybe yeah, a little too happy but for me so I, was last week's. Okay. this is a it's reminder of an artist of artists who i don't hear enough of in this space that i really latch on to and i think alone that's that's kind of pushing me forward. But that set aside, there's something to be said about the virtuosic nature of her singing and of the composition of many tracks on this record. Undeniable. This is above a four for sure because I rated, I believe, um, which was pure pop, um, Duran Duran at like a 375 because, you know, there was an enjoyment factor to it. But here, there's, there's a technical skill in many moments, even if it's not every track. That's undeniable. So it's a four for me. Is it just a straight up four? No, I think she, look, it's her second record. I haven't heard the first record, but I have to imagine there's a progression in talent here. I want to go back and hear the first record to see because I'm a fan now. But, you know, for me, I think this is, this nestles neatly at a 4.1 for me. It's just above a four because I think the heights 
take me high enough that I'm willing to forgive the lows. And that could just be based on my taste alone. You know, I don't know that it's necessarily um, that I'm ignoring them. I think I'm just getting wrapped up in the good so I can forgive the stuff that's not as good. But but I'm interested to see where her career goes. And I'm excited f- to have a new female vocalist I'm really into. As what's been said, d- d- dualities is the big theme today. You love it, you, you hate it. You, you can't just think stuff is okay right here. Like, it, the contrast is really heavy. And that makes this very, very difficult. But the highs are, frankly, like, astounding. Faded is <laughs> great. Like, great is the starting point for the good tracks on, these al- on this album. Strange things are happening... Is just phenomenal. I don't use words like sublime every day. I want to keep harping on that. This track was, is going to be easily in contention with all the other stuff we've already listened to this year as one of my favorites of the year. And that's like, go up against Arca. Go up against FFS. Like, go up against some of my previous favorites. Like, this is in contention for best track of the year. But the lows, I'm really critical of. The lows are really just bare bones type of ideas and it's weird that some of the most inspirational parts of this album feel so out of left field but the other parts feel out of right field like i i I don't find a middle ground going on right here the tracks that are i'm definitely down on they just feel like they are accomplishing check marks and the tracks that I love are just accomplishing something that I wouldn't even thought you could do here. So I'm I don't know where to go. But for me, while four's a good starting point, I don't think the good really outweighs the bad that's going on right here. I was legitimately bored. And that boredom that shows up in some of these tracks really is disappointing con- considering they tend to follow the best tracks. I guess that's the difference. I never really felt bored, but I hear where you're coming from. How awesome the the falling leaves left me on. Honestly, having it followed up by changing faces was like, are you joking? I was like, come on. I mean, this is not the same musician. It can't be. This is this is a, a starter idea versus something that was a, a, a period on one on a, on a beautiful statement. So. I'm going to be under a four. I'm going to be sub four. I'm going to be... I'm going to be just under. 3.9. Where John landed is where I started, which makes this one of the first episodes in a very long time where I feel not that we could have just, you know, abandoned today and not come to the podcast, but I do have to say that in analyzing this album... I came right where I originally landed when I dis- when I discussed this with myself, you know, when I first listened. We just kind of, we confirmed it together. Uh, with, uh, again, I was going for your perspectives, and it seemed that, well, it's half and half. John seemed to line up almost perfectly with where I was, and Matt is a little bit more forgiving of that other stuff. But, yeah, it's what I said in the intro of this podcast. There's stuff I like, yeah, and there's stuff I don't, meh. And it does not... A lot of room for reconciling that together. There really isn't. In fact, it only took uh, 206 episodes, but Matt um, faded. 
Stranger things have happened. Hanging in the stars and falling leaves are going on a playlist. <laughs> Those are five stars. Those he, really are five star. Tracks. Matt used to say yeah. that in the beginning uh, of this all series the time, sure. all the time, mm-hmm. and that's and I, I say that even though I don't make playlists, I don't. But no. I. There needs to be a room in my in my heart for those four tracks because of how phenomenal they are. They brought me back to an emotion that I haven't felt since episode 64, uh, Goldfrapp's Tales of Us. Something of a very dark, darkened nature. Something that was... Something that felt like it was almost, you know, speaking from a pedestal, someone's own personal woes that had a lot of spirit behind them and a fantastic element at the same time, uh, while also still being accessible, I think, in, in, in a lot of ways. But it's not ex- as accessible as some of those other tracks, but the things that were accessible, really accessible in this album, had none of that soul. And that was something that, I, you know, it was at least a little bit more uniformed in Goldfrapp's Tales of Us. I found it, I did have moments in the album that I really loved. I really loved the first track, and I actually don't think that album had brought me back to the same heights later. But there was a lot more consistency. It didn't just seem to drop off the face of the planet in terms of its soul. And that's what this album did. It really did lose its soul before regaining it, before losing it, before regaining it. I, I, I don't know what to do with an album like that. Um... It makes it feel like a compilation to me. It makes it feel like a smattering of an artist's varying disciplines. Not even like a matter of their their work or their artistic creations, but like different disciplines appearing on the same album. Even if there was the genre consistency of soul. That's neither here nor there. Yeah, uh, but I mean, I feel like that, that kind of... Um inconsistency in style we've gotten our other pop records and not necessarily faulted them for I'm it. saying I mean, there was a consistency in style and that there was an inconsistency in in emotion oh okay all right yeah and no, I that and makes once again, a lot more sense. I'm leaving room for the fact that maybe she wanted us to go perhaps ironically through that yeah. range of emotions but th- that range of motions of emotions didn't do anything for, like there were parts of the range that did wonders for me there were parts that didn't Maybe that speaks to that I have maybe more of a, 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 a narrower spectrum of types of emotions that I find alluring in music. I'm leaving that possibility open. But, uh, yeah, I'm not going to lie. The sadder stuff on this album was absolutely the best stuff. So I have to be honest with myself that way. Back to the Goldfrap comparison, because this is how I'm going to try to reason my rating. Um, Goldfrap's Tales of Us was a very consistent album in terms of that emotion. It may have lacked... The heights that this album achieved, though, in terms of at least four out of 12 tracks, which is a solid third. And that solid third was like, that third gets 100%, five stars. <laughs> I can't do that, though. I have to land in terms of just the totality of the album. I have to land exactly where John was. I, I, I'm a 3.9. That, that really pains me because of where... You know, I'm not saying that's a bad rating. It's really close to four. It's really close to being a good or great album. Yeah, but it feels like a, a 3.9 yeah. with a little asterisk next to it it's, saying but there it, are five stars here. And that's the thing. It's not even a little asterisk. It's a big, giant asterisk that is yeah. taking up being like, there are tracks that you may just flat out not like. And, and yeah, for an album that is, I guess, that inconsistent, we've said it before, we rate albums. And that's where I have to land, considering my experience. There was, it was not a saving grace. It is a, an album that I must, must partition to enjoy to its fullest extent. All right. Um, moving on to something a little lighter. 
<laughs> uh, um, since it got pretty heavy there at the end. Um, I, I will say this. Um, I'm happy that you brought this record on. I really liked our discussion on it. And I really, I'm happy I got four I, really, I really good. Got, yeah. Like, there's I definitely had, stuff here for everybody. My thesis. Uh, <laughs> um, I wish my thesis was broken up a little, actually. But I want to move on to something. We've, t- we've talked about uh, movies on the podcast before. Um, and we've talked about how... Music in a movie will impact your enjoyment on the positive side. How a great soundtrack will accentuate a great movie. But I want to kind of dip into a different branch. If if a movie that's not that great still has a really great soundtrack, can that save the movie? Or, or does it even matter? Yeah, it does. Because Tron Legacy is a piece of junk. I disagree. Until... Until Daft Punk I did the score, visually it's it's very heavy on the dark side of the contrast, which yeah. sets the theme. But honestly, it, it's it's a little wearing after a while. The acting is not very good, and the, don't even try to argue otherwise. The acting is not good, and the general like idea, the story progression is a little tried and true. Uh, maybe not with the original Tron, but otherwise it's go save this guy, but he's going to sacrifice himself heroically. Spoilers. Um, that's something that gets done like constantly. The mentor sacrifices himself. It was Star Wars A New Hope in so many ways, just in the Tron universe. But Daft Punk like outdid themselves on that electronica score. Like It is amazing and made the progression of that story not just bearable, but enjoyable in its own right. I challenge you to listen to to watch that movie without any music. You will not enjoy it. Like it, I don't, I don't see how it could be. Well, all right, then that that immediately right out of the gate, it's there, there's an easy answer to you, the question that you <laughs> propose, which is, of course, yes. Right. Because just by, you know, different people make up the art that is film. Yeah. You know, it is very, 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 very rare that you have, like, one guy who's the actor acting <laughs> with himself in the same scene. I don't think it's ever been done, to be perfectly honest. Like, just the actor is also the director, is also the composer, is also... I'm sure there are examples of people that probably come close to this, but not not fluidly. Um, it's always multiple people, probably at multiple skill levels, um, maybe even with a different vision in their head, aiming at a, a singular product which will be marketed as a singular product. So, yeah, are you going to get disparities over different categories? Of course. That's why we have the Academy Awards. That's why we award separate things to separate people. Um, It's rarely a a cohesive entity. So, yeah, the easy answer is yes. Um, I do think that it's very easy, like, as a... Being that we're not the creators, we're the public, we're the consumers, I think it's very easy for us to overlook cases where there is a big gap between the music and the film. Uh, Whether the music is a lot worse than the film or whether the music is a lot better than the film. It's easier for us to overlook that sometimes because if we see a really, really good film, then we might not be thinking about the music so much. Even if the music is just really kind of lame, then we tend to kind of, like, force it to... it's It's a forcible association with the film that you might even end up coming around to finding endearing in its own wonky way. Um, and then, of course, in the opposite front, if you hate the film, it's I do think you can take the, the music out of things. Here's my example, and this is a really going to the, the ass end of the spectrum. 
Manos, the Hands of Fate. It's a B movie. Yeah, of course, it's a. B- it was not even a B movie. It was it's made. Like a, it's it's like a, a D, D movie. Yeah. It was made by we a fertilizer skip, salesman. We skip C. Like we didn't even yeah. plan that, but we skip C. I'm a big MST3K fan, and of we course, Mystery are. Science we Theater. You know, did uh, Manos, the Hands of Fate. They didn't do it like they did it fairly early in their uh, in their seasons. Maybe like season three. It was still Joel Hodson was still there. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I don't get to talk about this movie that much because really, for the most part, it, it doesn't have anything to do with the Crash Quits podcast. Except that the music, I, I've turned around on this. I, since the beginning of this series, I've listened to the music separately. I have actually done that. I've listened to Russ Huddleston and, oh, I forget the other guy, but there were a couple of composers here. A little local jazz band, I imagine, um, who played in a very 1960s style, who I guess the director, the, the fertilizer salesman, managed to higher for this soundtrack and i guess it was done separately i don't think they knew what the what a travesty the movie was going to turn into um and of course i find the movie very comedic and the music ends up working comedically along to it during scenes that are just going wrong in a a myriad of fashions then you have this music that is almost like a of a noir quality and i think that in a in a different setting the music would have been amazing I think that there's something to be... It wasn't recorded in very high quality, but and it, you don't really have, like, the thorough score. I don't think... All you all we have right now are just the, the, the hard edits. I don't... Maybe no one has the, like, original cuts that were made of the full songs, because a lot of these things are very just hard-spliced. Probably the final cut that was actually applied to the film um, right before the vocals were overlaid. But that, that, that 25 tracks has a lot of interesting, unique ideas. It's just that a lot of people can't, they can't separate them. Like, they say, the movie sucks. Maybe I enjoy it, you know, on a trashy movie uh, enjoyment level, but the, mu- the music, therefore, must suck, too. <laughs> and I, I, I'm, I'm turning around on that. I think, uh, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. <laughs> <laughs> For me, my example would be, something a little different and a different kind of perspective on the same kind of thing that we're talking about. So for me, um, there was a soundtrack, I think it was in the 90s this movie came out. It must be the 90s. There was a soundtrack for a movie called End of Days, which was a Schwarzenegger action flick. It was, Mm -hmm. for me, a mediocre action movie. You know, not the worst of his movies, not the best either. It was just a Schwarzenegger action movie. But I had actually discovered the soundtrack first because it had a lot of bands that in that time period I was very into, like Korn and Linkin Park and Power Man 5000, Limp Bizkit, like all these bands that are of that time that I was really into. And so I bought the soundtrack just on, based on the bands that were featured on it. Disturbed was on it. System of Down was on it. Like it was that kind of 90s, mid to late 90s record. And so I bought the album. I loved it because I loved all those bands and I loved the music. And then I went and saw the movie. And I think... Well, I don't think it's the best movie ever. I think me enjoying that movie was based on, oh, there's that song. I'm like, oh, wow, there's a really good action scene for that song. Mm-hmm. And it kind of perpetuated me kind of going through the movie and enjoying it. Because I like I listened to that tr- that album on loop like it was a record, like it was the end of day's record, not that it was a soundtrack to a movie. And I think it really did paint my enjoyment of that movie. Actually, I have a similar movie, and um, I was originally in. I originally enjoyed this movie, but I, I've watched it not too long ago and realized how bad it really is. Uh, Sucker Punch. Sucker Punch is a really bad <laughs> it movie. Is a bad it's movie. got halting acting. It's essentially three hundred meets Alice in Wonderland yeah. with a lot of lens flare and some questionable shots. Yeah, but the. 
and 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 the 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 actual soundtrack is complete covers. Yeah, and the soundtrack is like phenomenal. It's a really the covers great soundtrack. are just great. Yeah, not just the choices, but some of the covers I feel like are like edge out originals. Well, yeah, and it's connected. There's connectability because the lead actress sings a couple of the songs on there. Yeah, and uh, like the integration, like I, I I listen. I actually have the Sucker Punch soundtrack and. I don't need the cover anymore because I don't even need to see it anymore. Yeah. I just love the music. Yeah, but it's it's such a shame because it was so good from like Sweet Dreams onwards. Like they started with Sweet Dreams and it was just like hit after hit after hit after hit that was just superior. Yeah, to the previous idea. But the, all of this said, I feel like um, Steve's right. We kind of answered the question before we asked it. Almost at this well, point, well, I did. <laughs> like they don't know what the movie's gonna turn into, yeah. so it's, it's obviously not. It just depends on how we, you know, well, we and see also, it and how so, it colors the movie for us and how much we can separate ourselves. So many times I've heard actors and directors and writers say nobody writes, signs up for something or or directs something and goes, "This is gonna be shit, but what can you do?" Yeah, you when you're in the mix, you believe in it, you believe in the work, you think that it's gonna be great. Those monos musicians were working a lot harder than everybody else was. I mean, I imagine there the are solos, probably... solos are amazing. I'm telling you that right now. I'm sure there are plenty of movies where you can kind of get a whiff of it, but most of the time, everyone's setting up to make, setting out to make the best work they can. No one walks into a project going, "Well, this is gonna be shit, but let's go. do it anyway." They might have walked on set with like maybe super bad. That it was going to be one of those team movies that gets thrown away, but then the music showed up and it was Maybe. really good for I'm sure it. there, yeah, I'm sure there are some people that do things for the or paycheck. Or Nick and Because yeah. also and people are in different places in Ironically, life. Ironically, still Mike Sarah. No, you see, I, I like Nick and Nora's soundtrack and movie. Those, I think the movie was definitely better because they they really captured it well. With sure, the music. I mean also the book because that's one where I'd read the book and the book the book was better than both. Right. So, but but yeah, I think that only the best artists I think can actually like access the best parts of themselves at all times. Yeah, which know? is n- not an easy task to do. Yeah, I think that you know. It's always interesting to look at the dynamics of music and try and separate yourself from it, but also see what it actually affects and influences. And I think that's ultimately what this discussion goal is, is to kind of take these pieces and see if you can look at them separately and together and see if your opinions change both individually and together. I'll tell you, there was this, there was no way that this conversation was intended to match the album in any capacity. No, no, but if you're talking not. about partitioning and separating yourselves from the product, <laughs> then actually there's a bit of crossover there. There is. All right. Why don't we get into our wrap-up of the episode? Um, and before I preview what we're doing next week, Steve, why don't you uh, do our usual due diligence with a spam mail? <laughs> due diligence indeed. It's very effortless to find out any matter on web as compared to books, as I found this paragraph at this site. There was a hair flip in there. <laughs> like it, was. it is very effortless. effortless. And boom, the hair goes over the shoulder. True. The was that in my reading or, her, or in his writing? I don't it's, know. I think the presentation should have been a little more Valley Girl. Like, oh my god, I can't Or Surfer Dude. Or Surfer Dude. I can't no, even man, say like, gender. You can't just go effortless, man. Can't even like, say gender because I don't know what this is. Noemi. I don't know whether they were going for Naomi, but it's N O E M I. Or Noel? Noemi. 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 Noemi's, 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 Noemi's. No. No, no, no. Poor connection. Whatever. Screw you. No whammies for you. All right. What are we Uh, doing? So um, I'm actually picking an album that John uh, made me hip to, as the kids say. Nobody says that. Um, I I can't. 
I made you hip to this album. This I feel like you hip to a I feel like from old the Steve, 60s. right? I right, feel right. like old Steve yeah. right now. So, um, <laughs> this is an artist that we're all very familiar with here, and that we're all fans of. But when I found out that he had a new record, I had to pick it because I am a huge, huge fan. So, Paul Simon has a brand new record called "Stranger to Stranger," which. It's very connected to this because this album also had Stranger in the That's title. That's right, a lot of Strangers, Strange albums. But um, Strange times. But, but we're all fond of Paul Simon. I mean, when, uh, Apparently when not I you. started... Apparently not hip to him at all. <laughs> well, I no, hip... I wasn't hip you to You weren't. The... No, no, I wasn't hip to him having a new record. I was hip uh, to him. Of course. Okay, because I thought I might have made you hip to Paul Simon, no. which would have well, made me my Well, get hip dad. to this. Paul Simon may be retiring. That's so the rumor we're going around. If we're going to pick him, maybe well now the last the time. One. This could be the last one. Um, but like when I, for instance, me and Julio down by the schoolyard, the three of us just started singing it off air because we all know that song so well. Um... I just, uh, I couldn't pass this up. You know, I really love Paul Simon. I'm one of those few naysayers, maybe, that says I loved his solo career more than him with Garfunkel. I would not, uh, no, I cannot discredit the influence Garfunkel had I can't on discredit him. it. I'm just saying I think he was better for it after. Sort of like the Dave Grohl being great in Nirvana, way better in Foo Fighters. That's but, okay. But I'm leaving that there. Uh, I'm leaving that there on the table. We can pick it up next that's week. An, that's an argument for next week. But, I think um, we're going to have words. But I'm actually really excited to hmm. do work by Paul Simon. I mean, we did run into that issue when we did um, Paul McCartney. Paul McCartney a while back. That you know, it's like, what do you, what do you say? It's Paul McCartney. Yeah, episode, episode, episode 76. Here. You probably heard us say on almost like every other track, be like, don't get me wrong, he's got nothing to prove. Yeah, you know. <laughs> and so and I in feel each like... and every case, you know, it's not matter. We don't do these episodes because the artist has to prove something to us. The yeah. likes of Crash sure, Court. Sure, sure, sure. It's not why we do them. We're just trying to see what we're good fans. music is. No, we're fans. Well, it's either yeah. that we're fans or we're just, you know, trying to do what we did today. Trying to partition the good from the bad as we experience it in a very, you know, true to the audience fashion. And so I'm excited to do that with Paul Simon next week. So don't miss that. And uh, I guess on that bombshell, I'll wrap up by saying, as always, music is life. And, and life, life is, is good. good. If you enjoyed this and other album analyses, topics, and guests, please subscribe to the Crash Chords Podcast on iTunes, where you can also rate us and review us. For more media, also subscribe to Matt's one-on-one interview series, Crash Chords Autographs. To receive emails on all new content, subscribe at the top of our homepage. Also receive updates by liking us on Facebook, following us on Twitter at Crash Chords Web, our Tumblr, and our YouTube channel. And remember, keep the discussion going, because music is life, and life is good. If you have any questions or comments, feel free to share them in the comment board below each post. Otherwise, email us directly at admin at crashchords.com.